With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The 2021 MLB season is here, and although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Greg Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season, along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. Foreman from the low, welcome to Bumpy Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. We've got a great podcast for you. It's in the second segment. We're going to be joined by the prop queen herself, Ariel Epstein. She does a tremendous job over there on Sports Grid. You can catch that Sirius XM Channel 204. Her main show is The Morning After. Also does some work with FanDuel Sportsbook. I know that we've heard her so many different times on things like 1090 The Mightier. She comes out with fishy lines more towards the football season. She does a little bit of everything. She's tremendous. She does a great job with the strikeout prop market. So we're going to be asking about that. Going to be taking a look at a lot of futures as well. She's out there in the state of New York. As we know, the Yankees are looking for a playoff spot. The New York Metropolitans, they're in the NL East, or as I'll call it, the NL East, because all the teams out there have been struggling. So we're going to get her thoughts on those division races, if there's any value with perhaps any of those teams, and just take a look forward as to some of the teams that might be able to make a run in the postseason. So that is going to be a great chat. Then in the final segment, going to give you guys a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Saturday, and a little something I like to call touch them all. First things first, always love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast. You got one of two ways we go for those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at JarenScore41. Keep in mind, Lars M. they mean does not matter. So as per usual, send these into the Twitter timeline. Other way to be able to engage is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated, and it really does help out the exposure of this podcast as well. Those just stumbling upon this podcast are able to see, oh, there's a lot of people I must apparently like this baseball betting podcast, 
And then from there, they wind up subscribing, and that helps me out a little bit, so I always do appreciate that. And then if you do wind up rating five stars from there, you're able to post a comment on whatever you'd like to see on this podcast, so... That is always tremendous. And we did get in one Twitter question today from a few different folks, so let's dive in. So you have questions, and Greg may or may not have any insight into them, but let's dive into the Twitter mailbag. I know that a lot of you guys ask me how much my lines typically change when we wind up seeing guys out of the fold. We saw Juan Soto get a day off yesterday. We also wound up seeing Ramon Laureano get suspended 80 games for PEDs. And when it comes to position players, I typically don't move my lines too much unless it's Mike Trout. Mike Trout is an obvious exception. But even with Christian Yelich not being in the fold for the Milwaukee Brewers, I really didn't change my handicap on the Brewers at all with them out because a lot of the guys I've stepped up from have been nearly as good. You wind up getting Lorenzo Cain at the time in which he winds up going out with COVID, and he's still out right now, so there is that aspect of it. And bigger than that as well is that Christian Yelich just hasn't been hitting so well this year in general. Now, when you take a look at a guy like Juan Soto, he has been able to do a tremendous job for the Washington Nationals. No if fans are buts about it, but at the same time, even though he's been able to do a great job with the Nationals, he's only going to get typically about four to five at-bats a game. If things really go crummy, he's going to get three at-bats. If you just see a complete and utter bludgeoning, he'll wind up getting six. No doubt his play in the field also impacts things a little bit. And let's face it, with no Juan Soto in the fold, there's going to be less protection for other guys. So there is that aspect of it. But there's only so much a guy can do with four at-bats. Unlike in college basketball where you wind up having a star guard out. He's a guy that's averaging like 20 points per game. He's taking 12 shots per game. Those shots have to go elsewhere. With Juan Soto, you know that he's probably going to get four, maybe five at-bats. Nothing more, nothing less. So it's not one of those things where you maybe pick it up by committee. You wind up having someone that comes in and say Juan Soto right now, he's hitting about a 300. He's been able to give you 17, 18 home runs so far this year. And obviously since the All-Star break, he's been hitting for a little bit more power. But his underside, let's say that's Gerardo Parra just for this exercise, you could have a couple different guys wind up filling in from. If he's hitting, let's call it a 230 for the year. Juan Soto is hitting about a 300. And in that one game, Juan Soto might wind up going one for four. And Gerardo Parra winds up going one for four. It's not necessarily that big of an impact. Whereas when you wind up having a guy out in football who's the starting quarterback, the step down from Aaron Rodgers to Jordan Love, much, much more significant. So that is why I really don't impact much of my handicap when one position player is out now when you wind up getting some of these days and you're going to find them in September where you're just going to have pretty much like the AAA team wind up coming in for a night and all the starters wind up getting a day off. That is completely different. But one singular position player is not going to make much of an impact. Obviously, pitchers are pitchers. They're out there for many innings and that changes things entirely as well. So hopefully that answers your questions. And what we did have on Friday was also a great day of baseball. So let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. What happened yesterday? Yesterday. Let's go around the bases and find out. The Brewers and Giants in a battle of two division leaders wound up playing a really good one, and the Brewers got the job done in extra innings despite three errors by a count of two to one. Logan Webb, by the way, do not sleep on him. He wound up getting a start for the San Francisco Giants, has now allowed two runs or fewer in each out of his last nine starts. This was the first time in his last nine starts that the Giants wound up losing one of them. He wound up delivering a good performance. Lone run they wound up giving up a solo run to Avi Sale Garcia. 
19th home run season. From there, you wound up having Rowdy Tellas in the 10th inning be able to drive in that RBI that wound up coming off of Jarlon Garcia. So that's an unearned run for him. Dominique Leon, Tyler Rogers, Jake McGee. I'll give you a scoreless setting for the Giants. Just nothing to him for the team. 0-6 with Ben in scoring position. Brandon Belt was able to go deep off of one. Corbin Burns for his 12th home run season. And I believe that was his first home run since coming off the injured list. And for Burns, he was masterful as well. He gives up that solo home run over the course of seven innings. We really saw two aces on the mound. From there, Devin Williams, Brad Boxberger, Brent Suter. I'll give you a scoreless setting. Have to think that Josh Hader is currently dealing with an injury, which is why he has not been seen for quite a while. But certainly, the Brewers, even without Mr. Hader, they have been able to get it done. Another team that was able to get it done, the Chicago White Sox, as we wound up seeing quite a few extra inning games on Friday, as it was the White Sox who wind up getting it done by a count of 8-6 to six at Wrigley. For the White Sox, you were able to get a pair of home runs in this one, including one in the 10th inning. That came off the bat of Ryan Goodwin. Seventh home run of the season, and then Cesar Hernandez was able to get his 19th. For Lance Lynn, he did his part. Gives up one run over the course of six innings with the wind blowing out. That's really impressive. Aaron Bummer, Michael Kopek, they both give you a scoreless inning combined. Lee Mendricks was able to give you far outside the bullpen, but Craig Kimbrell, he winds up pretty much giving up as many runs in this game as he had given up, I would say, nearly all year. He gives up three earned runs in two-thirds of an inning. It was not a good showing from Garrett Crochet. He winds up giving up two runs, one of which was earned in the 10th inning. So, if you had the under in this game with six runs coming through in the 10th, thoughts and prayers to you there. But for the Cubs, being able to take him deep was... Andrew Romine at the tender age of 34 gets his first home run of the season. And then Frank Schwindel gets his second home run of the campaign off of Mr. Crochet. For Kyle Hendricks, he did his part as well. Two runs to give it up over the course of six innings. From there, you wind up getting a scoreless inning out of the bullpen from Jake Jewell. Then things wound up getting airy. Kyle Ryan along Trevor McGill combined for an inning and they give up two runs total. Cody Hoyer was able to give you a scoreless inning, but then you wind up having Mr. Manuel Rodriguez come in. He gives up four runs, only one of which was earned because he was hurt by a Danny Duffy throwing error, and that wound up lighting the game on fire. You needed to have Mr. Michael Rucker come in to be able to complete that 10th inning, so a complete and utter calamity if you wound up having that under. A complete and utter calamity for the Mets has been road games so far this year, and they wind up losing to the Philadelphia Phillies by a count of 4-2. The Mets, by the way, now 23-33 and on the road, 33-20 and at home, and they are now out of first place. The Phillies at 57-53 and now have the lead out there in the NL East by half a game. Jonathan VR was able to get a home run, but it was too little too late, 11th of the campaign. That comes off of Ian Kennedy, who right now is like a 9 ERA with the Philadelphia Phillies. He has not been good, but Kyle Gibson, the other part of that deal, he has been good. Six innings for him. He winds up giving up one run. Hector Neris, R.G. Bradley, both give you a scoreless inning and a pair of home runs in this one. Bryce Harper winds up hitting home run, and it was not a solo shot. Out of his first 18 home runs of the year, 16 had been just solo shots. His 19th of the year was a two-run shot off of Edwin Diaz, and it wound up being the difference maker in D.D. Gregorius. We go euphorious for Gregorius. He goes deep off of Marcus Stroman. His 10th home run season for Stroman. Not a great start, not a bad start. Gives up two runs over the course of five innings. Aaron Loop and his ERA go down to 122 with a scoreless inning. Seth Lugo, a scoreless inning as well. But then Edwin Diaz, he gives up that home run to Mr. Harper. And that winds up being the difference in the game. The difference in Rays versus Orioles is the fact that the Orioles' bullpen is very poopy. 10-6. 
The Rays get the win thanks to a five spot in the eighth inning. For the Tampa Bay Rays, Nelson Cruz was able to get a three-run shot in the sixth inning. His 22nd home run of the year. For the Rays, they go 5-15 with men in scoring position. Ryan Yarbrough just has not been good as an actual starter whenever an opener comes in from. I believe he's 24-5 and all-time. Gives up five runs over the course of five innings. Bullpen from there was able to go to work, though. Lewis Head, he winds up giving his scoreless inning. Andrew Kittrich, a pair of outs. Andrew Rasmussen, one and two-thirds innings. He does not give up anything for the Baltimore Orioles. John Means, he meant business. He gave up two runs, only one of which was earned over the course of five innings. Now, that unearned run was because of his own error, but still, he was able to do his part. From there, things did not wind up going well. Connor Green, a guy that they're hoping has a little bit of upside, he now has a 14.73 ERA. He gives up three runs in an inning, including that Nelson Cruz home run. Cole Solzer was able to give you a scoreless inning, and you wind up getting one and two-thirds innings scoreless out of Marcos Deplan in his MLB debut. But Paul Fry, who has actually been relatively solid for the Orioles, gives up three runs without getting a single out, and Dylan Tate... Didn't do much better. He got one out and he wound up giving up two runs. And the Tampa Bay Rays have been one of your better teams on the road so far this year. As that win winds up pushing them to 31-22. and 22. A team that has been very solid all year long. That would be Houston Astros. But they did not look like it on this night. 5-4 to four in extra innings. The Minnesota Twins get the job done. And for the Astros, they have been prone to losing some games as massive favorites at home. And in this one for the Minnesota Twins, Mitch Garver was able to deliver a big shot. 13th home run season, that comes off of Zach Greinke. And for Greinke, he has not necessarily been great at home. Right around a 5-ish ERA in Houston, he gives up three runs over the course of six innings. Bullpen was able to do their job until extras. You wind up having Ryan Sanek, Ken O'Graven, Ryan Presley. I'll give you scoreless inning. Phil Maiden along with Rafael Montero give up unearned runs in the 10th and 11th inning. And for the Houston Astros, pair of home runs for them. Chaz McCormick was able to get his 11th home run of the season. And if you're wondering, why in the world is Taylor Jones in the fold? Well, I believe that you currently have Yuli Gurriel is out for the team. He got his first home run of the campaign as for the Minnesota Twins. Bailey Ober winds up giving up both of those home runs. Three runs in total over the course of five innings. But a Twins bullpen that has not been good all year long. They went to work. John Gant, Ty Guffey, Ode Alcala, Alex Calme. I'll give you a score of saying Danny Colombe gives up an unearned run in extras. But Juan Manaya gets the final four outs and he was able to get the WM for the Minnesota Twins. All of a sudden, this team has been playing a little bit better as they've now won three out of their last four games on the road, so been able to catch some nice plus prices with them. You've been able to catch some nice plus prices all year long with the Seattle Mariners, but they could not get the job done in extra innings as the New York Yankees get a 3-2 win in 11 innings. Now this is going to expend the Yankees' bullpen as this was a bullpen game for you, and... Well, nobody went north of two innings. Wandy Peralta was the pseudo-opener in this game. One and two-thirds innings scoreless. You wind up getting four outs out of the bullpen from Steven Ridings, and he looked very good, by the way. Julie Rodriguez was able to give you a scoreless inning. Zach Britton gave you a scoreless inning. Clay Holmes, one and a third innings. He winds up giving up a run. You wind up having Lucas Lutige. Launch Jonathan Luizaga give you four outs without giving up a run. Chad Green winds up giving up an unrun run as he was hurt by a little bit of this, a little bit of that. But Albert Abreu in the 11th inning was able to close things out. For the Yankees, they wind up leaving 12 men on base, but they were able to have a couple guys do a good job of being able to get a couple stolen bases. And for the Yankees, the year on this one, Brett Gardner, a guy that has been hitting right around the Mendoza line of 200. As for the Seattle Mariners, Marco Gonzalez with by far his best start of the year. Six and two-thirds inning scoreless. From there, Josh Smith closes out the seventh inning. Diego Castillo has been shaky ever since he wound up getting to Seattle. He gives up a run and an injured second right gives you a scoreless inning. Eric Swanson, he gives up an unearned run in the 10th inning, and then Keenan Middleton gives up the man on second in the 11th inning as the Seattle Mariners. They only wind up mustering a grand total of eight men that wound up reaching scoring position against a Yankees team that was going with a bullpen game, and for the 
Seattle Mariners, they are starting to regress in one-run games. You take a look at it, they have now lost three one-run games here in the month of August. This after they began the year 23-8 and in one-run games. You figured that that regression was going to be coming at some point. It looks like it has. No regression here as the Cincinnati Reds, they take down the Pittsburgh Pirates by a count of 10-0. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, this team not looking so good. JT Brubaker gives up nine runs, eight of which were earned over the course of five innings, including a pair of home runs going deep for the Cincinnati Reds. Mr. Jesse Winker, his 12th home run season. And then you wind up having Tucker Barner go deep off of Brubaker for his 6th home run season. Jonathan India later in the game will go deep off of Kyle Keller for his 13th home run season as Keller gives up that solo home run in the 90. Luis Oviedo gave you two scoreless things, so lower his ERA to a 10-8, so whoopity stinking do there. And for the Cincinnati Reds, Wade Miley, he was having a party out there in Cincinnati. He winds up going seven scoreless innings. Ethan Embry, Sean Doolittle, they close things up and they're able to get it done. And for the Cincinnati Reds, all of a sudden, a team that has been able to win three straight games, they're looking to climb their way back into that National League playoff picture, whether that be for the division or a wild card. The St. Louis Cardinals are well out of it for the postseason at this point, but they were able to take to the Kansas City Royals on Friday by kind of 4-2, they were able to get a W for the Royals. Mike Miner, a major disappointment, gives up four runs, including two home runs over the course of five innings. Paul Goldschmidt and Tyler O'Neill both get their 18th home runs of the season from there. The Royals were able to get scoreless innings out of Wade Davis, Greg Holland, and Domingo Tapia. And for the Royals, one of seven with men in scoring position for the St. Louis Cardinals. Adam Wainwright continues to be great at home. A sub-3 ERA when he's been in St. Louis so far this year. Two runs given up over the course of seven innings. TJ McFarlane, Alex Reyes, they do a much better job than the St. Louis Cardinals bullpen did. On Thursday, they both give you a scoreless inning. No big giant walks there. For the Colorado Rockies, this is a bunch that they are now 11-10 and 10 in their last 21 games. They've been relatively solid at home all year long, and they just absolutely dismantle the poor Miami Marlins 14-2 the final. And for the Rockies, by the way, 36-21 at home. Meanwhile, they're 13-40 on the road, though I will say 7-7 seven and seven in their last 14 road games. But for the Colorado Rockies, Charlie Blackman got his 7th home run of the season. C.J. Crone, his 15th and 16th home runs of the season. By the way, of his 16 home runs, 13 have come at Coors Field. So, a little bit of a split there. Ryan McMahon gets his 18th home run of the season. And Elias Diaz was able to get his 13th home run of the campaign. As Armand Marquez, a tremendous start. Six scoreless innings in Coors. Ben Bowden, Yancey Almonte, both a London inning out of the bullpen. Both give up one run in the process. And then you wind up having Robert Stevens and come in, he was able to give you a scoreless inning, and for the Miami Marlins, they gave up a nine spot in the fourth inning, and that was not good for Sandy Alcantara. Three and two-thirds innings, gives up ten runs, all of which were earned, including three out of those five home runs from there. Stephen O'Kurt, who's actually been relatively solid out of the bullpen. Two and a third innings, he gives up one run, raising his ERA to a 2.81. He was able to give up a solo home run. You wind up having Sandy Leon make another pitching appearance. I think this might be his third of the season. Backup catcher gives up three runs in an inning to raise his ERA to a 9.82. And then Paul Campbell gives you a scoreless inning out of the bullpen. And for the Miami Marlins, they go one of ten with men in scoring position. So it was not a good night for them. It was not a good night for the Washington Nationals as they wind up losing to the Atlanta Braves by a count of 8-4. to four. Friday was the first day in which the Atlanta Braves woke up with an above 500 record and they keep it going. As Eric Fetty Wap, he got whopped all over. Five runs, four of which were earned, given up in four and two-thirds innings. Sam Clay gives you an out of the bullpen without giving up a run. Andres Machado along with Gabe 
Flowbustis, where he will give you a squirrel setting, and then you wind up having Avi Guerra fresh off the injured list, and boy, he has not been fresh for the team. Gives up three runs in an inning to raise his ERA to 12. Meanwhile, if you take a look at the Atlanta Braves, Kyle Muller, not necessarily the world's greatest starter. He gives up three runs in four and two-thirds innings, but the bullpen of the Braves has been in the top six with regards to ERA over the last three days, or showing the signs that they had in 2020. Tyler Masick, Luke Jackson, Chris Martin, I'll give you a scoreless inning. Edgar Santana gave you an out to be able to get out of the fifth inning as well. Jesse Chavez gives up a run in an inning, but the Atlanta Braves looking very solid. They go 6 of 13 with men in scoring position, so they were able to get a nice easy win. The Detroit Tigres were entered into their game on Friday having won 7 out of their last 9 games, but the Cleveland Indians got a very solid start out of Cal Quantrill for a 6-1 win. Tigers, by the way, entered into Friday with the most runs per game in the American League since the beginning of the month of July, but Quantrill shut them down. 10 strikeouts, 7 scoreless settings. From there, James Karantek gives you a scoreless setting. Blake Parker got into a little bit of trouble. He gave up a run in a third of an inning, but Emmanuel Classe was able to get out of it. Two-thirds of an inning from him, he was able to put out the fire. And for the Detroit Tigers, not what you were looking for out of one, Matt Manning. He doesn't give up any home runs, but gives up six runs in four innings. This is a guy that he's going to need a year or two to develop at least. From there, Derek Hong gives you two scoreless signings out of the bullpen to lower ZRA to a 692. Ian Crawl, Buck Farmer, they both give you a scoreless inning. And for the Detroit Tigers, just nothing doing for them on offense. A lot doing for the Blue Jays on offense. They wind up completely destroying the Boston Red Sox, who have now lost seven out of their last eight games. They are free-falling down the standings. 12-4, to the final in this one for the Red Sox. Hunter Renfro was able to go deep. 18th home run of the season. He's been able to show some good power recently, but Nathan Eovaldi, his worst start in quite a while, perhaps all season. Seven runs given up in four and two-thirds innings. Going deep off of him for the Toronto Blue Jays. Lords Gurriel, 12th home run season for Alec Manoa. Manoa, what? He was pretty solid. He gives up two runs over the course of five innings. Ryan Baruki gives up two runs in two-thirds of an inning, but Rafael Delis gives you four outside the bullpen. Brad and Tyler Saucedo, both able to give you a scoreless setting. And for the Blue Jays, they go 8 of 16 with men in scoring position as the Red Sox bullpen. It was not their night. Austin Davis, Martin Perez winds up coming out of the bullpen, which that's a little bit of a surprise. And then you wind up having position player Jonathan Aruz. I'll give you an inning. I'll give up approximately one run. And then Enzo Robles winds up coming in for a third of an inning. He winds up giving up two runs. So Red Sox are really declining. Meanwhile, the Blue Jays, they are looking to be able to make a push for the postseason. They are going to try to leapfrog the Oakland A's for a playoff spot. And if you had the Oakland A's run line, thank your lucky stars that this one wound up coming through. 4-1 to one the final. Mike Fultonavich actually delivers a very good start for the Texas Rangers, which is a massive surprise considering he entered into this game having given up 31 home runs all year, and in nine road starts, having given up 18 bombs, but he has given up two runs or fewer in pretty much all four of his starts against the Oakland A's. Might have given up a three spot, but he gives up one run over the course of six innings. Bullpen, by and large, was doing their part. Brett Martin, Joe Barlow, along with Dennis Santana and Spencer Patton. I'll give you a scoreless setting, but then Jimmy Ergo, he got gone in the 11th inning as he winds up giving up three runs, two of which were earned, including a walk-off three-run shot by the Marte Parte of Starling Marte. His ninth home run season, he's now all the more important because Ramon Laureano's out of the fold and he delivered. And Chris Bassett, he had you a line and singer in this game. Seven innings, gives up one run, and the bullpen went to work. Yasmero Petit, Andrew Chafin, Lou Trevino, Sergio Romo, I'll give you a scoreless inning. And for the Texas Rangers, they're averaging about 2.2 runs per game since the All-Star break. I'm not an expert, but I can tell you that it's not too good, and they went 1 of 14 with men in scoring position. Just absolutely laughable. What were 
we're seeing at this point from the Texas Rangers on offense. We're seeing a little bit more fight from the Arizona Diamondbacks on offense, though, as they don't wind up blowing a big lead in the ninth inning in this one. They wind up getting the W over the Slam Diego Padres by a count of 8-5, to five, and this was just a terrible loss for the Padres because they wound up getting up early in this game, and then the Arizona Diamondbacks offense, which... Currently has absolutely nobody of note in there other than Quetel Marte of the Marte Parte wind up erupting. They go 7-10 with men in scoring position. Caleb Smith winds up giving the team four outs and gives up five runs, all of which were earned. And then the airs of the Diamondbacks bullpen goes 7-2 third scoreless with Matt Peacock. Four two-thirds inning scoreless. Joe Manette-Tipley was able to give you a scoreless inning. And you wind up having Sean Poppin give you two scoreless inning. That's what was popping as for the Padres. Ryan Weathers. Oh, boy. I have soured on him, and I think many other people have. Six runs given up over the course of three innings. Craig Salmon gives up two runs in an inning. From there, bullpen was able to do a solid job. Matt Strand, Pierce Johnson both give you a scoreless inning. Emilio Pagan and Tim Hill, they combined for a scoreless inning. And Reese Nar was able to give you two scoreless innings, but this is just completely unforgivable. And I have to post this up by midnight Pacific time, so this is a game that is currently going on as I do this. We're in the ninth inning. 2-2, two two, Angels and Dodgers. What I can tell you is that the Angels got another very good start out of Patrick Sandoval, giving up two runs over the course of five innings, and bullpen looks solid. Jose Quijada lowered his ERA to a 7-11. He's still always open to giving up runs, but scoreless inning from him. Sam Selman was able to give you a pair of outs, and Austin Warren, one in the third innings. Looks like he is going to be a bright spot for this bullpen, as he's a young guy that they brought up, and so far so good from him. And for the Angels, pair of solemn runs in this one. Jack Mayfield, seventh of the season, I believe is fifth in the last 17 days, and Jose Iglesias was able to get his eighth for the Dodgers' David Price. His longest start of the year, tied for his longest five and a third innings. He winds up giving up both of those solo runs, but bullpen has been able to do their job. Kenley Jansen got the team out of the ninth inning. Blake Tryon was able to give you one and a third inning scoreless, and Joe Kelly and Phil Bickford both give you a pair of outs out of the bullpen, and for the Dodgers, no deep shots as I'm doing this right now, as they are going to be going into the bottom of the ninth inning, but what I can tell you right now is that there has been a lot of money all year long to just basing these totals on a game-by-game situation because overs and unders very equal right now. 785 overs, 779 unders. So right around 50.2% of games are going over. So very even Stevens there. Favorites overall this year have been very solid. 954 and 668. What we've noticed is that favorites have been relatively solid over the last seven days with regards to being able to hit, but it's been big favorites that have not necessarily come through. 57 and 35 is a record on favorites over the last seven days. If you're looking at home teams overall this year, they're hitting at about a 55% clip. 901 and 736. But if you look over the last 30 days, home teams have not necessarily been as great. 185 and 160. This is just with the way that things swing when you've got teams like the Arizona Diamondbacks, Baltimore Orioles, having home stands. That'll happen to you on favorites in the time span of the last 30 days. 198 and 145, so hitting just below 58%, and overs and unders relatively equal, but a little bit of an edge to the under in the last 30 days. 167 unders, 161 overs, and if you're looking just over the last seven days, been relatively equal as I'm recording this right now, 45 overs and 43 unders. So that's what we all saw for Major League Baseball on Friday, and that's what we're all seeing overall trend-wise. Now let's take a look at some trends with our good friend, the prop queen, Ariel Epstein. She does a tremendous job over there at SportsGrid. She hosts the show the morning after. You're able to catch that on Sirius XM Channel 204 Monday through Friday. She does a great job with the strikeout prop market. She also does a great job of just taking a look at futures. So we're going to be looking at the American League playoff picture. We're going to be looking at the NL East. We're going to take a look at what she's noticing with regards to the strikeout prop market as well. That is on the other side right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast with myself, Greg Peterson. 
Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Always great to be joined by this guest as we've got Ariel Epstein, better known as the Prop Queen, joining me right here. She does a great job hosting the show the morning after on SportsGrid. Does some work over there with FanDuel Sportsbook. You're able to hear all that she does on Sirius XM Channel 204 for the morning after, Monday through Friday. It's also on 1090, the mightier that is out there in the great state of California. MSG Networks as well. So she is all over the place and you're able to follow Ariel on Twitter. And her name, Ariel Epstein. Last name is spelled E-P-S-T-E-I-N and Ariel Great to have you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me on, Greg. Love always coming on and talking with you about all the big trends going on in baseball. Absolutely. And I know that you do a great job with the K-Prop market. What have you been noticing the last, I would say, month or so? Since the last time we chatted, we were just starting to see sticky stuff wind up taking hold in baseball. And, well, for one, we've noticed that really nobody's been suspended for it other than Hector Santiago, who not just got suspended for sticky stuff, but also for PEDs. So he's just hitting for the suspension cycle at this point. That is just absolutely tremendous. But what have you been really, really noticing in that strikeout prop market the last, I would say, month or so? In the strikeout prop market, I've noticed that there's been really good opportunities to betting unders. There are certain places that pitchers just really don't strike out batters in. One of those places is Coors Field. I like to target the unders on some pitchers if they're pitching in Coors Field. Sometimes you can get certain pitchers that would normally have six and a half, seven and a half for a strikeout prop, and you could get them to have five or less strikeouts in the game. That's a place that I would definitely target if you were looking for strikeout prop unders. As for strikeout prop overs there are certain teams that have just been profitable all year whether it's the san francisco giants against righties the tampa bay rays against lefties the detroit tigers against lefties or pretty much anybody those are the strikeout trends that i really try to target i think that that's so good that you point out these specific trends of these teams as well because a lot of people wouldn't really know it but the tampa bay rays they're a very high strikeout team and you'll notice that with a lot of the top teams i take a look at the team like the new york yankees they acquire a whole bunch of home run hitters. I look at them as one of the most feast or famine teams out there in baseball because you've got guys like Aaron Judge, Joey Gallo, Anthony Rizzo. list goes on and on of guys that they wind up striking out a whole lot. And then you've also got a team in the Detroit Tigers who I think that a lot of people would be surprised that ever since the beginning of the month of July, they're scoring the most runs per game out there in the American League. They're also at 9.5 strikeouts per game. That is the third most out there in the league, and when they're on the road, they're the only team that strikeouts out more than 10 times per game. So a lot of these high-powered offenses, they also come with a high-powered amount of strikeouts as well. Well, that was the biggest knock when Gallo came over to the Yankees because everyone said, oh, great, so they've got a power hitter and another guy that's going to help lead the league in strikeouts. That's always the issue when you have these power hitters. And the problem with what the Yankees did at the deadline was that they essentially took a bunch of hitters that put them in the same place they were already in. Now, granted, if the bats get really hot, then this Yankees team could make a run, go to the playoffs. If they stay hot, they could win a World Series. That's just not realistic, though, Greg. We know this from the past. The 2009 Yankees did hit home runs, and they homered their way into a World Series title, but they got hot at the right time. They had pitching that got hot at the right time realistically it's just not something that could be sustainable and something that wins you world series the yankees really needed pitching and they really didn't go out and do it they got andrew heaney but you saw he just got lit up it's the second time this year he got lit up in yankee stadium once as a yankee once as an angel the yankees getting another power hitter another two power hitters it just puts them in the same exact spot that they were in before power hitter can hit home runs but it also could strike out a lot 
Yeah, Andrew Heaney is north of five ERA, I would argue, was not much of an upgrade for the New York Yankees. And hey, they got Clay Holmes and his four or five ERA and Jolie Rodriguez and his six ERA to be able to help out the bullpen. So congratulations on really upgrading there as we do have Ariel Epstein joining me on the podcast and sitting out there in the American League East. I do think that that is just a really interesting race to take a look at because we've seen the Boston Red Sox really regress five straight losses going into Friday. So things have not necessarily been going so well for them. The Tampa Bay Rays have been dealing with as many as four at times key bullpen pieces being on the injured list, yet they've just been continuing to pile up the wins. As we know, they wound up picking up a power bat of their own in Nelson Cruz. And then the team that I've really been looking at all year long is the Toronto Blue Jays, and it feels like they're starting to put it together. Jose Barrios in his first start with the team, he looked absolutely masterful. And if there is a team that I think could wind up making things very interesting out there in the AL East, it is the Blue Jays. And I don't think that they can be counted out for that second wild card spot because the Oakland A's have actually been a team that has done really well on the road, but they haven't necessarily taken care of business at home. Especially because the Blue Jays have George Springer back, who missed most of the start of the year. Now Springer's hitting 298. He's hit 13 home runs in 38 games for Toronto. The Jays are one of those teams that if you looked at those make the playoff odds, they were the team that I'd be willing to bet on. I would rather put my money on the Blue Jays than the Yankees at this point. I could see the Blue Jays saying staying hot because they have such a good lineup. They have two of the best pitchers in the American League. Hyunjin Ryu, Robbie Ray has been a surprise. Both of them have a top 15 ERA, I think even top 10 in the American League this year. And then you have the Yankees. They don't have a top-notch pitcher aside for their ace, Garrett Cole, who's 10-6 and six on the season. Yes, he leads the American League in strikeouts. Yes, he has a top-notch ERA. Who else do the Yankees have? That's why the Blue Jays are the more well-rounded team to me. I love Toronto not to win the division, to make the playoffs. And the team to win the American League East, I would have to put my money on Tampa. Not that it's a value play anymore. It was a value play a couple of weeks ago when the Rays were the second best odds on the board and the Red Sox were the leaders. The Rays have the most depth. They have pitching. They have hitting. The Red Sox pitching, it's been a surprise. I just can't see this Red Sox pitching staff getting the Red Sox through the rest of the season. We're already seeing it after the All-Star break. This Red Sox team has been tough to watch. They're below 500 after the All-Star break. They've lost seven of their last 10 games. They're a game and a half back. It didn't take long after the All-Star break for the Rays to jump in front of them after being a game and a half back going into the break. I'm right there with you with the Boston Red Sox. Martin Perez was doing a great job of being out pitch on the road. Got completely destroyed a couple days ago against the Tigers. Nick Pavetta, you just knew that regression was going to be coming in for him. That has happened. Bullpen has still been very good. Guys like here, Woodlock and company, they're certainly able to hold it down. But when you're only getting like four innings with guys giving up three plus runs in those starts for the Boston Red Sox, I don't care how good your lineup is. It really does put you behind the eight ball. And what I think is going to be intriguing about the AL East as well is what winds up happening when some of these guys wind up coming back. Because as we know, the Yankees are looking to get back Luis Severino. I will believe it when I see it from him Hmm. being a little bit of a difference maker for the Yankees down the stretch. As we know, Chris Sale is going to be coming back for the Red Sox. I think they could be able to give the team a little bit of something, but I would expect him to be sort of like a super utility reliever, something like that. I just don't think that he'll be able to go out there and give the Red Sox too many starts. And then you take a look at 
a team like the Blue Jays who have been ravaged by injuries with their bullpen. I think that if they wind up getting back any of those guys, that'll bolster them as well. So I think that some of the biggest key additions out there in the American League East might not be trade acquisitions, but rather guys winding up getting healthy and which ones are slash are not effective. Right. And of course, health is always the main issue. I mean, you see what's been happening to certain teams, like even the Dodgers, for example, even though they're pitcher Trevor Bauer is for off the field problems. Clayton Kershaw is someone that scares you. you you're never sure if he's going to go on the IL next week. Sometimes he scratched the day of his start and ends up on a 10 day IL. That's why the Dodgers had to go for Max Scherzer. And even then you don't know what Scherzer with his back, if something's going to come up and he's going to cramp and he needs to postpone a start. It's all just about staying healthy. The Astros, the Mets, certain teams that have just had a bunch of all-stars on the IL. Now the Mets, for example, switching over to the National League East, they're intriguing because the Mets have had so many injuries. I remember at one point in May, the Mets had about 15 starters on the IL. They still managed to stay in first place. The Phillies are catching up, only a game back. The Braves two games back, which is just miraculous because the Braves, if we're going to talk about any team that's been injury prone this year, the Braves have been injury prone since 2020. This team couldn't catch a break since last year when Mike Soroka had the Achilles injury. And now they've just lost their all-star Ronald Acuna Jr. the day before the all-star break. I mean, the poor Braves are a team that I cannot believe is in third place by only two games in the National League East. That shows you how weak the National League East is. And I remember seeing that someone posted on Twitter. I can't remember who it was, but it was a beat writer in New York. He tweeted out, everyone thinks the Yankees are having a horrible season because they're in third place by six games of the American League East. The Yankees have a better record than the New York Mets. The Yankees are 58 and 49. The Mets are 56 and 52. We're recording this on a Thursday. It's just amazing how much being in first place of your your division can make people think you're having a great season where realistically you're not having anything but an average season. Oh, and I'm so glad that you brought up the National League East as well, because if the Phillies could just get any semblance of production on the road, this is a team that they could be able to win that division. I take a look at them if they were just able to get a little bit more timely inning as well, because I take a look at a guy in Bryce Harper. He's been able to 17 home runs so far this year. 15 of them have been solo shots. If they're able to get a little bit of something there, they could find themselves in the race. I'm glad that you brought up the Atlanta Braves. They wanted making some moves at the deadline. They all of a sudden have been able to get their bullpen rolling. That was one of the big things for them last year when they were able to make their run. Their bullpen was dominant at the beginning of this year. It was not looking good whatsoever, but over the last three days, they're in the top six when it comes to bullpen ERA. So I take a look at that entire National League East race. If you're looking to take plus money on a team to either be able to make the postseason or to be able to win a division, obviously, in this case, it would be to win the division because none of these teams are going to be able to get a wild card, but... That is probably where I'd be looking just because who knows what's going to be happening in that division at this point. Exactly. This National League East, I always compare, ironically enough, to the NFC East in football. These two are just the worst of the worst. And even though they are above 500, the Braves are at 500 currently, it's still very tough looking at the worst division in baseball to think that any of these teams are going to make a run. At least if you win the division, you'll have home field. But at this point, does it really matter? For the Mets, I guess it does. Actually, the Phillies, they have a pretty good home record too. But otherwise, I mean... If you're going to go up against any other team, you're going to probably go up against two teams in the National League West who are 10 games better than you easily. That's the problem here because you're going to get 
the Dodgers and Padres. Let's just say the season ended today. You have the Dodgers and Padres that are right now they are your wild card game. You're losing. If you're the Mets, you're losing to one of those teams in the playoffs. No doubt. The three teams in the National League West are the three best teams in baseball. Maybe the Houston Astros could give them a run for their money because they have playoff experience. I think the champion is coming out of the National League West unless injuries play a factor. I agree with you. If there is one team that I take a look at with the National League that might have a little bit of value in a series, that would be the Milwaukee Birds just because you've got three frontline starters. And when you wind up getting into the postseason, you do shorten down that rotation. So when you're throwing out there Freddie Peralta, Corbin Burns, along with Brandon Woodruff, I think that you've got a chance in any series when you're able to get six-plus settings out of those guys. They did wind up picking up Eduardo Escobar at the trade deadline. So it's one of these things in which – if the Brewers could just get a bloop and a blast, that might be enough for them, given their pitching staff, especially when you've got Devin Williams and Josh Hader in the eighth and ninth inning. I'm in agreement with you with the NL West, but if there's one team that I think could really ruin those plans of the NL West having the World Series champion, I certainly do think it would be the Brewers. Yeah, you look at the pitching, and the pitching has been incredible for Milwaukee. You're right. If there was any other team outside of the NL West that I'd have to choose, it's the Brewers because the National League East is that bad. The Phillies, if you just gave me their starting rotation and said, okay, you could bet the Phillies in the first five, I'd maybe give you it. Because you have to rely on the Phillies' bullpen, no, thank you. This bullpen still isn't that much better. Now, granted, they've tried and they've improved a little bit, but from last year, I mean, you can't get worse than being one of the worst bullpens in baseball. The Phillies have improved a tad, just not enough to make me comfortable to back them. I loved betting this team for the last week, but it's just sometimes scary when you go late into games. You've got some resilient lineups in the National League, and that's what makes me scary for the Phillies. Uh, it makes me scared for the Phillies going forward. The Mets have a closer, which is a plus for them just the Mets injuries have been a problem they haven't been consistent also this week I bet on Carlos Carrasco over five and a half strikeouts for the Mets because it was his second start he had 58 pitches in his first start and he had four strikeouts so I said okay we're basically betting on his pitch count here thinking that at least they'd let him go 10 more pitches to like around 70 for his range they pull him with 62 pitches he was up 3-1 Carrasco He had five strikeouts. It was plus 142 to the over of five and a half strikeouts. He had two strikes on Joe Panic. He gave up an RBI single. That was the three to one lead the Mets had, and they pulled him at 62 pitches. This is the second time this year where I have seen the Mets pull a starting pitcher when he was doing just fine. And I know that they're nervous about injuries. Jacob DeGrom, it happened to in his first start of the year. They get nervous, but you're too nervous. You are not that far ahead in the National League East. And look, you gave up two runs when your bullpen came in because your middle guys aren't as good as your closer and your middle relief guys aren't as good as your starters. And the Mets end up giving up the lead. It's three to three. They end up getting the win five to three against the Marlins. It still just was so frustrating because Carrasco was dealing. Oh, I saw that one. I gave thoughts and prayers on this podcast for anyone who wound up having that strikeout prop. I mean, it's just the New York Mets being a little bit too cautious and having a little bit too much faith in their bullpen as well. And I take a look at some of those teams as well. I take a look at a team like the San Diego Padres, like the New York Mets, teams that have really had to utilize their bullpens a lot. And I mean, the bullpen of the Mets, by and large, has been able to do a good job this year by all accounts. The San Diego Padres bullpen this year, it has been amazing. But with both of these teams, they really didn't bring in too many fresh arms into that bullpen. And the big fear, especially after you're coming off a 60-game season in 2020, is that these guys are going to be worn down by late September. You get into the postseason, and then you just have a broken-down bullpen. If you don't have guys that are able to give you six-plus innings, that's going to be a real issue. 
Exactly. And that's what scares me about it, especially from a management perspective, too, with the Mets and not being able to figure out how to manage your team correctly and in a way that's winning you ball games. We talk about this in any sport. Sometimes people don't think so much about baseball because they'll look at a football game. People will say in football, oh, yeah, the football coach is really important because he calls the plays. In baseball, you think that the players go on the field and they just hit the ball and field the ball. No, no, no. You've got to deal with your bullpen. You've got to deal with your pitching. You've had strategy. And sometimes we just rely way too much on either analytics. We're too nervous about injury. Greg, I grew up in the wrong decade. I need to be back in the 40s and 50s where these pitchers just went 120 pitches a game. They threw the whole game. It was their game to throw. The manager didn't pull them. Their arm was a little sore. They stayed in. And I know the seasons are longer now, but it's just so frustrating when you watch some of these managers just try a little too hard to get a little too cute. And you just don't realize that when you're getting too cute and your starter has the game and he says, this is my game. You have your relievers come in in the seventh inning, sixth inning. It's really tough when you've got runners on second and third and you're asking a guy to get three outs. I mean, it's just, it's a tough situation to put a pitcher in and I know it happens. They're pros. They do it. It's just frustrating when it's someone who has 62 pitches and you pull him and you've got the lead. Oh, I'm right there with you. And then some of these guys are backed up by really bad bullpens. Like you even take a look at Thursday with Merrill Kelly fires eight shutout innings for the Arizona Diamondbacks leaves with a four to zero lead. And then the bullpen lights the game on fire in the ninth inning and he gets a no decision. It's like, what are you supposed to do if you're Merrill Kelly and guys like that? So sometimes you just don't want to trust in the bullpens, especially late in the year. But Something that I always trust in is your insights, Arrow. You do an absolutely terrific job over there on SportsGrid. I know that you do some terrific work over there with FanDuel as well. People are able to catch your show over there on MSG Networks, 1090 The Mightier. If they're out there in the state of California, Sirius XM Channel 204, list goes on and on. I know that you do a bunch of great videos throughout the week as well. So let the good people at home know what's all going on with you and how people are able to follow along on social media and other platforms. Well, aside from following along here, whenever Greg has me on, you can also find me at Ariel Epstein on Twitter, at Ariel Epstein on Instagram, been posting my pics there. Also on Sirius XM channel 204, the Mightier 1090, as you alluded to before. And you can catch us on multiple streaming services at SportsGrid or on Roku, Pluto, Zumo, all those different streaming services for cord cutters if you don't have MSG Plus in your area, which is pretty much in New York. So, Greg, thank you so much for having me on and giving me another platform to give people some betting advice and hopefully make them some money. Absolutely. That is the whole goal of this podcast. Make people more informed on baseball in general and make people money. Ariel does a great job with that. I know that Ariel is going to be doing a great job during the NFL slash college football season. When it comes to basketball time, she always brings it there as well. She always brings it on this podcast. So big thanks, Ariel, for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. I give you a sign turtle for every game on the betting board for today. And a little something like Paul, touch them all. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Great to get Ariel Epstein on the podcast. She does a great job over there with SportsGrid. Their show the morning after, some work with FanDuel Sportsbook as well. And she's better known as the prop queen, and she brought it today. So, big thanks, sir. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Saturday. And a little something like call, 
Touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that as per usual, any changes are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JarenScorty1. We are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the National League games first, then American League games. Any interleague games are going to be at the bottom. Now do note, I am going to be going with both Red Sox versus Blue Jays games all together because... Doing those breakdowns one at a time, I'd be naming off the same players twice, so that'll just be for a little bit of brevity there, but past that, we should be all good to go with this as we begin with that first National League game as we go 9-0-1, 9-0-2 on the betting board. We have the New York Metropolitans, and they're going to be hitting the road to face off against the Philadelphia Phillies. Rangers Juarez is going to be going for the Phillies. Meanwhile, Tyler McGill is going to be on the bump. For the Metropolitans, if you're looking at the Mets, you're going to be finding them as a slight favorite in this spot. Getting them anywhere between as good as a minus 103, as bad as a minus 115. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Phillies, anywhere between a minus 105 and seeing them as bad as a minus 107 as well, as good as even money. 9 to 9.5 is your total on the 9.5. Unders minus 120. The overs even on the 9. Overs anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Unders anywhere between even a minus 105. For Suarez, he's highly effective. Problem is, you're probably only going to get three, maybe four innings out of him. In his last start, I believe that he wound up going three shutout innings, so he was able to do the job, but... At the same time, it's just one of these situations in which he's not fully stretched out. He has been coming out of the bullpen for much of the year, and he's been effective. Three home runs and 15 walks given up in 43 and a third innings and a microscopic 104 ERA. Just don't expect him to be able to go very far, and then you wind up getting this Phillies bullpen. Archie Bradley has actually been halfway decent for this team. J.D. Hammer is actually someone that I like for this team. He has yet to give up an earned run so far this year. And Mauricio Lavera has actually been able to give you a little bit of something, but we've got guys like Hector Neres, Aniel De Los Santos, Chase Anderson has been moved to the rotation, so now you really don't have as much of a long guy. And then you take a look at the flip side for the New York Mets. I do expect a little bit of regression with this bullpen. Aaron Loop just cannot keep up a buck 25 ERA. We've already seen it with guys like Miguel Castro and Jersich Familia, but I do like what you're able to get out of Trevor May. And for McGill, he wound up getting lit up in his last start against the Miami Marlins, but that was really just one bad inning. He winds up giving up a grand slam to Lewis Princeton of all guys. Prior to that, he had given up a combined two runs in his last five starts, so I do think that he's going to be able to return to form a little bit more in this one. He's Give it up five home runs at 11 walks and 40 and a third innings with a 268 ERA. And you take a look at both of these lineups. They're a little bit intermiss with Bryce Harper. He entered into yesterday with 17 home runs, but 15 of the solo shot variety. He and Gene Segura hitting between a 300 and a 310. Odubo Herrera has been all over the place, hitting right around 245. Got hot towards the end of May into June. He's just been up and down ever since. And Didi Gregorius only hitting about a 210 for this team. Alec Bohm, ever since the beginning of the month of June, has been able to give you something. And JT Riumito has been able to give you right around a 360-ish on base. You've just been having Reese Hoskins dealing with a bunch of injuries. He was out of the fold once again yesterday, and then you take a look at this Mets team. They are all sorts of banged up, but the good news is Jeff McNeil seems to be in the lineup a little bit more regularly. He's hitting about a 270 for this bunch. Pete Alonso, he has been able to supply some power with 24 home runs, giving you right around a 335 on base, 250 batting average. He, Don Smith, Javi Baez, Tomasino, all in between, I would say about a 256 to a 240 with Baez. North of 20 home runs, most of those obviously wound up coming with the Cubs, but also wound up striking out, I believe, four times in a game a few days ago. Might have actually been five. Michael Comforto hitting at the Mendoza line of 200. Jonathan VR has actually been drawing some walks. His batting average is a little bit down as well. J.D. Davis has not been out there consistently, but has been able to give this team a little bit of something. So, got an interesting spot here. I just take a look at the Phillies, and they've been very good at home, and they've been not so good on the road. And that's really been the M.O. 
of the New York Metropolitans as well. With the Mets, 33 and 20 at home, 23 and 32 on the road going into yesterday. And for the Phillies going into yesterday, 31 and 21 at home, 25 and 32 on the road. That is why I'm setting the Phillies as actually the favorite in this spot. And I set them around minus 130 because I do think that Suarez going to be able to give you right around four solid innings. And they think the bullpen is going to be able to give you a little bit of something as they've been so much better in Philadelphia than on the road. Also made this whole 8.3. So going under along with the Phillies. 9-3, 9-4 on the betting board. The San Francisco Giants at the road to face off against the Milwaukee Brewers. Brandon Woodruff going to be going for the crew. To be determined is going to be on the bump for the San Francisco Giants. Hard to give you any numbers on this. I would have to think that the Giants are probably going to be looking at a pseudo bullpen game. Maybe you wind up going with someone like a Sam Long, who last I checked, he was on the active roster for this team, so he might be able to give you a little bit of something. If not him, maybe you wind up going with Aaron Sanchez, who I know is back in the fold as well. Began the year as a starter. He's been making a few long relief appearances for the team, so if he winds up getting a start, you'd probably be expecting probably like four innings, since in his two long relief appearances, he went two and three innings, respectively, giving up one run in those five total innings. And then for the Brewers, going to be setting them as a sizable favorite regardless because Brandon Woodruff, I do recognize that the record is 7-6, and six, but this guy has been incredible. At home, he actually has a little bit worse ERA than he does on the road. 220 road ERA, 234 home ERA. In 10 starts at home, he's given up 5 home runs at 11 walks in 61 and 2 thirds innings. Opponents are at 218 off of him. And he's generating right around 10.5 strikeouts per 9 innings. So he's been solid. And what else has been solid is both of these bullpens. For the Milwaukee Brewers, over the last 3 days, they've got the best bullpen ERA in the National League. And overall, they're now in the top 10. They have been absolutely amazing. When you've got Devin Williams, Josh Shader, Brad Boxberger, list goes on and on. You're certainly able to do some stuff. And then with the San Francisco Giants, you've been able to get quite a bit out of so many of these other guys as well. Jarlin Garcia has been able to come in. He's been able to provide for the team. Even someone like Jose Alvarez has been relatively solid for the team. You take a look at the San Francisco Giants and you do have a lineup that they just do a good job of being able to be consistent up and down as this is the lineup that they wanted trotting out there yesterday. Each of their top seven hitters hitting between 11 and 19 home runs. The other guy is Tommy LaSalle, who wound up just coming off the injured list. He has been able to show some promise. Lamonte Wade, Brandon Belt, Buster Posey, along with Austin Dickerson, all between 11 and 13 home runs so far this year with Wade and Belt, both in between, I would say, about a 242-255, and Belt just wound up coming off the injured list. Brandon Crawford and Chris Bryant leading the way with 18 and 19 home runs apiece. Mikey Strumsky as well, so you've got a lot of that going on. Posey is hitting at 325. This is a team that they do a match job of platooning. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, this is a team that ever since the beginning of the month of June is averaging right around 4.9 runs per game. Prior to that, they were a bottom five offense in the big leagues. They wind up picking up Eduardo Escobar at the trade deadline. 24 home runs, hitting about a 250 for the team. William Adamas, 19 bombs overall with the Milwaukee Brewers, hitting right around a 275. Colton Long, hitting a 295. Quite a few guys hitting between, I would say, about a 242 of 250. I wound up mentioning Escobar, Rowdy Tellez, Tyrone Taylor, Lorenzo Kane, all in that fold. You're still dealing with Christian Yelich being out of the fold, but he hasn't necessarily done a lot for the team. Omir Nervais has been in and out of the lineup as well, but he seems to be back for the team. And you just take a look at this spot. I do think that you're going to be getting a very low total here. I would be surprised if I'm setting anything higher than about a seven and a half in this spot because I think that Woodruff is going to be masterful, and I think that the Giants, even in a bullpen game, they'll be able to cobble something good together. And I'll probably be saying the Brewers probably right around like a minus 160-ish favorite. If you do wind up getting something like an Aron Sanchez, it would probably be more like a 170. 
in thinking about it, but check back in the morning of my Twitter feed at JarenScourty1. Just some initial thoughts there, since obviously we don't know what the Giants are going to be trotting out there. 9 to 5, 9 to 6 on the bang board. The Pittsburgh Riders hit the road to face off against the Cincinnati Reds. We are on to Cincinnati, and they're on to Vladimir Gutierrez getting the start for them. Meanwhile, Mitch Thunderkeller is going to be on the bump for the Buckos. Pirates, sizable underdogs here. Anywhere between plus 164 and plus 170. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Reds, anywhere between minus 178 and minus 195. 10 to 10.5 is your total on the 10. Over anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Unders anywhere between even a minus 110 on the 10.5. Unders minus 120 and the overs even. And if you're taking a look at the Reds, I do like what I'm seeing out of Vladimir Gutierrez. He has been able to really pick it up for this bunch. He wound up having a couple rough starts coming up. Was a little bit up and down. And the home run ball is really absurding him right now. Right in the pocket of about 1.8-ish home runs per nine innings. Walks per nine, it's starting to come down a little bit. He's still giving out right around 4.2-ish, but he's given up two walks or fewer in four out of his last five starts. And the Reds, they've been doing well when he's taking the bump. 4-1 in his last five starts, so give him some credit there. Two runs or fewer given up in four out of his last five starts. Now he has given up a grand total of five home runs in his last three starts as well, but a lot of those starts wound up coming on the road. Then you take a look at Mitch Keller. This guy is just a hot mess. You just can't trust in him. I still remember he wound up having a stretch last year in which he had two no-hit appearances, but he wound up walking like a guy per inning during like 12 innings. It was like, what the heck is going on here? His walks per nine is suffering right around five so far this year. Nine strikeouts per nine innings, but he's also given up the deep ball himself, right around 1.3-ish home runs per nine innings, 7.05 ERA. On the road, he's actually been better than at home, so there is a saving grace there. 829 home ERA, 482 road ERA, and four road starts, a little bit of a small sample size. Four home runs give it up in 18 and two-thirds innings. Opponents are only a 233 off of them compared to a 329 at home, but you take a look at what's backing him up with regards to the lineup. You've got Brian Reynolds. He has been able to give the team 18 home runs so far this year. He's hitting a 300. That is tremendous. Nobody else entering into the game yesterday at north of a 250 batting average in the starting lineup. Now, you've got a trio of guys hitting between a 240 and 250. Jacob Sellings, John Nagowski, along with Cabrian Ace. So, able to get a little bit of something there, but then you wind up having Rodolfo Castro, Philip Evans, Kaye Tom, Kevin Newman, Gregory Polanco. List goes on and on of guys hitting a 220 or lower, and Polanco is the only guy not named Reynolds with more than 10 home runs so far this year. Meanwhile, you take a look at the rise. Now you've got Nick Cassianos back in the fold. Pair of guys in Cassianos and Winker hitting above a 300. Pair of guys that have been able to give you 18 plus home runs, despite the fact that Cassianos was on the injured list, so that is solid. Joey Vato. One more could be said about this gentlemen. Ever since the All-Star break, this man has been as hot as lava. He wound up having a seven-game stretch in which he had a home run in every one of them. Mike Moustakis is now banging the fold as well. He has been limited to fewer than 100 at-bats. He made his first appearance yesterday since the middle of May, so that's going to be able to help out this team. You've got Tucker Barnard along with Tyler Stevenson at the catcher spot. pair of guys hitting north of a 260. Jonathan India, a 400 on base. He's able to give you a little bit of pop as well. Now, with the Reds, your big ailment with this team is a bullpen. Brad Brock is right around a 5-ERA. Sean Doolittle, he's been doing very little for you, but Michael Givens has come in. He's been able to hold down the fort for this team. Michael Lorenz, a little bit of a super reliever for this team. And then with the Pittsburgh Pirates, currently dealing with an injury to Kyle Crick. That has certainly hurt them. They bring in Anthony Banda while he was with the New York Metropolitan. He had north of a 6 ERA. That's not great. Now, David Bernard, Chris Stratton, even Jason Shreve, these guys have been able to do a relatively good job with the bullpen, but I have absolutely no faith whatsoever here in Mr. Keller. If you're taking a look at the run line of the Cincinnati Reds, I am finding that 
right in between even money and minus 105. I was willing to take the Reds run line as long as it was south of minus 115, so we're going to be taking the shot there. Also, wound up saying this all 9.8 because I do like what I'm seeing at a Mr. Gutierrez, and let's face it, the Pirates' offense is not good, so taking the under along with the Reds on the run line. 9 7, 9 8 on the betting board. The Washington Nationals hit the road face off against the Atlanta Braves. Charlie Morton is going to be going for the Bravos. Josiah Gray is going to be on the bump for the Nets. 8.5 is your total. Over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between even a minus 105. If you're looking at the Braves, sizable favorites. You're going to be getting them anywhere between minus 234 and minus 255. Plus price with the Nets. Anywhere between plus 205 and plus 215. Now you do have to throw out there some caution. You wound up having Juan Soto on the fold for the Nationals yesterday. So no question that is going to hurt them a little bit. He had seven home runs since the All-Star break. North of a 400 on base. So he is no doubt a guy that can be a little bit of an impact for the Washington Nationals. Taking his spot, you've got a wide variety of guys like a Gerardo Parra, who's actually hitting a 250 for the team along Trace Pereira, Elcides Escobar hitting in that neighborhood as well. And Yadiel Hernandez has been able to 300 for the team. Josh Bell, he's been able to pick it up recently. He's got 19 home runs. Carter Keeboom says getting some opportunities has been solid. You need a little bit more of your young guys. Victor Robles, Luis Garcia. These are a pair of guys that entered into yesterday below the Mendoza line of 200. And they're going up against an Atlanta Braves team that they rank in the top seven of the big leagues with regards to home runs per game. And you've got a pair of guys, Freddie Freeman and Austin Riley, that are doing a great job of it. Between 22 and 24 home runs apiece, both guys hitting north of a 290. So that has been terrific. Dansby Swanson along with Adam Duvall. A pair of guys that are also hitting north of 20 home runs. With Duvall only hitting a 225, but Swanson, he's been able to pick it up. His batting average was really rough at the beginning of the year. You Take a look at what we did it in the month of July. Hit right around a 298 since the beginning of August, hitting north of a 400, obviously, in a very small sample size going into yesterday, but he's been able to give you a tad bit of something. Ozzy Albies along with Jack Peterson in between a 250 and a 260 apiece. Both of these guys between 14 and 17 home runs. And for the Atlanta Braves, the bullpen ERA over the last 30 days ranks in the top seven in the big leagues. It was rough at the beginning of the year, but they pick up Richard Rodriguez at the trade deadline. Edgar Santana has been solved for the team. Tyler Madzik has been able to give you some good innings. Luke Jackson and is someone with a 225 ERA for the year. So he's been very valuable for the team and for the Nationals. You wound up having a lot of guys be unavailable yesterday just due to the game that they wound up playing two days ago. So got to figure that Kyle Finnegan is going to be available for the team. Ryan Harper is a guy with right around a .90 ERA. Mason Thompson has been able to be a little bit bright for this team. And he also came over from the Padres where he was underutilized. And I actually liked him a little bit. Guys like Sam Clay, Wander I swear, oh, this guy sucks. They have not been able to do the job all year long. But Wander Ice World, this guy sucks. Currently not on the roster, which should be able to help this team out. Now, Josiah Gray, he was a highly touted prospect for the Dodgers. Wound up dealing with an injury earlier this year, which is why in his couple starts, he's been going four, five-ish innings in his first start with the Washington Nationals. Gave up one run over the course of five innings, so that was actually relatively solid. Now, he has given up a combined five home runs in three starts, all spanning between four and five innings, which is not necessarily so terrific, but he does have good stuff. Meanwhile, you take a look at Charlie Morton. This is someone that at home has not necessarily been as effective as on the road. 5-2 record both at home and on the road, but on the road, 310 ERA, 413 ERA at home, opponents starting at 229 off of them in Atlanta, buck 86 when he's on the road, 3 home runs surrendered on the road, 9 home runs in 69 and 2 thirds innings at home, so I do think that that's a little bit fascinating. Now, should the Washington Nationals be a sizable underdog? Yes, anything north of a plus 185, I was willing to take a shot on them. Seeing north of $2, I'm going to be riding with the Washington Nationals. Also, when I'm seeing this total at 9.3, I do think that Morton is going to give up some runs. I think that the Braves are going to be able to take Josiah Gray deep a couple times as well. So, going over along with the Nationals. 9-9, on the bang board. The Miami Marlins set the road face off against the Colorado Rockies. Austin Gomber is going to be going for the Rocks. Jesus Lazardo is going to be on the bump for the Fish. 
Total on this game is 10.5. Over is anywhere between minus 105, minus 110. The under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. If you're looking at the Rockies, in between minus 139 and minus 150 is your price. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the fishies, you're going to be able to get some fish into your betting diet at anywhere between a plus 129 and a plus 133. And this is a situation which I'm going to be taking a look at the Colorado Rockies. You've got to be gauging this team so vastly differently home to road because with the Colorado Rockies, they've got the worst batting average when they're on the road so far this year. Meanwhile, they lead all National League teams when it comes to batting average at home. It's just an absolutely remarkable split. And I will say on the road, they've actually been a little bit more respectable recently, but they're hitting a 280 when they're at Coors Field so far this year. And you just take a look at some of the guys that have been able to excel at Coors Field so far this year. CJ Crone, among his 14 home runs, 11 of them have wound up coming at home. Trevor Story is sitting right around at 300 at home along Josh Fuentes. He's these guys are not necessarily so great on the road. Elias Diaz, he's hitting right around a 250 at home on the road, south of the Mendoza line of 200. Though I will say he's actually had quite a few home runs when he's been on the road as well. Charlie Blackman, five out of his six home runs have come at Coors Field as well. So that is a very big split with Asus Lazardo. He just was not able to find it when he was with the Oakland A's. They wanted starting him out as a starter. That was not necessarily so great. He wound up having some good moments during the 2019 and 2020 seasons, but you take a look at what he's done away from Oakland so far this year. A 7.98 ERA. That is two starts, five relief appearances. Opponents are getting a 3.28 off of him. He has given up five home runs in 14 and two-thirds innings. Now, I think that having a little bit more consistency in the starting rotation is going to be able to help him out, but I think that it's going to be a little bit of a project here for the Miami Marlins. He, even in that start against the New York Mets, didn't necessarily look so great in a very pitcher-friendly ballpark. Now you have to go to Coors Field, and for Austin Gomber, he has been very masterful in Colorado so far this year. Seven starts, four and one record, a buck 98 ERA. He's given up four home runs at 36 and a third innings, and opponents starting a buck 64 off of him, so he's been able to bring it. Now with the Colorado Rockies, their bullpen is not necessarily too terrific. Daniel Bard has been able to give you a couple good innings, but you take a look at a lot of these guys, and it's not necessarily so great that's putting it very politely, but you do have a couple guys that I do think have a little bit of upside for this team. You've got a guy in Carlos Aceves who has been able to give you a couple solid innings out of the bullpen. You take a look at who's really been able to perform at home so far this year. Surprisingly, you at least just seen as a sub for ERA. So, been able to get a little bit of something there. Lucas Gilbreth has right around a 5-ish ERA. And when you take a look at the Miami Marlins, their forte has really been the bullpen. Anthony Bender has right around a 2-ish ERA. Richard Blyer has been able to keep the ball down recently. Now, Sean Gunther is a guy that they're going to be looking to. Stephen O'Kurt has been getting some innings for this team, and he's been able to excel, but got a couple unknowns there. And what is really the unknown for the Miami Marlins is the offense right now, because you had two guys in the starting lineup yesterday with more than five home runs for the year. Jazz Chislam along with Asus Aguiar. Aguiar has been amazing. 19 home runs, hitting right around 265 for the team. Chislam, 11 home runs, 11 stolen bases, hitting at 255. So that's relatively respectable. Miguel Rojas is hitting right around 270 for the team. But then you've got guys like Brian De La Cruz, Jorge Alfaro, Mengolia Sierra, Lewis Brinson. All guys hitting between a 225 and a 240. And then Sandy Leon, Izan Diaz, guys like this are in below the Mendoza line of 200. So hard to really get a whole lot going when it comes to this offense. Now, if there is a place that can get you going, it is Coors Field because the ball is going to be flying there. Wound up saying this all at 10.2, so I'm going to be going under. But I love what I'm seeing out of Austin Gomber in Coors. And I think that there's a lot of question mark with Asus Lazardo at this point. He's got the stuff. I think that his confidence is a little bit rattled. And if you're taking a look at the run line currently of the Colorado Rockies, 
you're going to be finding that between a plus 125, seeing as good as a plus 130. So I'll ride with that run line of the Rockies, and I'm going to be taking this total under 9-11, 9-12 on the betting board. The Slam Diego Padres are going to be playing against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Taylor Widener is going to be going for the D-backs. Hugh Darvish is going to be on the bump for the Padres. Padres are finding themselves as big favorites. Anywhere between a minus 260 and a size of minus $3. Meanwhile, with the Arizona Diamondbacks, anywhere between plus 230 and plus 235, and your total on this game, we are finding that anywhere between 7 and 8. On the 7.5, over is minus 120, and the under is even. On the 8, under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even a minus 105. I needed at least a plus 265 to take a shot here on the Diamondbacks. If you're taking the run line, I'm not even going to who make you sweat that out. Anywhere between minus 120 and minus 130. I was willing to lay up to about a minus 145 on the Padres run line, so we're going to be looking there. Now, I do recognize that you Darvish has not been good in recent starts, and that's putting it very politely. It's not necessarily a velocity dip or anything like that. I made sure to check that out. He has been giving up right around 1.5 home runs per nine innings so far this year, and you take a look at it. Four plus runs given up in four out of his last five starts whenever he's given up the big amount of runs aside from that crazy game against the Washington Washington Nationals in which you wound up having a relief hitter hit a grand slam against Max Scherzer. It has been not necessarily so great and when you take a look at Mr. Darvish in general, this is a man that has given up nine home runs in his last five starts but I think that if you're looking for a get-right prize, that is certainly the Arizona Diamondbacks. And Darvish has been better at home than he has been on the road. On the road, a 4.03 ERA. He has given up seven home runs in 44 and two-thirds innings on the road, so that is right around 1.4 home runs per nine innings. At home, it's more like 1.3 home runs per nine innings. And at home, command has been very good. Sub two walks per nine innings. Opponents are at 2.15 off of him in San Diego. And then you take a look at Taylor Widener. He wound up showing one gasp of life. He wound up having four and a third innings, giving up one run against the LA Dodgers. He was able get the win there. He has given up approximately five runs in each of his last three starts, not making it through five innings in any of them. He has given up at least two walks in four out of his last five starts. Strikeouts have actually been there. He's given you right around nine and a half strikeouts per nine innings, but it's just not been great. Now, I will say, in six starts on the road, a 3.33 ERA, but I will say in those six starts, it combined 27 innings, so he's given you about four to four and a half innings per start. Opponents are going to get 2.08 off of him, which is good. The bad is, he's given up five walks per nine innings as well, and now he has to face off against a San Diego Padres lineup that I do recognize that Fernando Tatis Jr. is not in the fold, but you still have quite a few guys that are able to do a great job of being able to get on base for you, as you've got Jake Cronenworth, Manny Machado, along with Eric Cosmer. Only in between a 275 and a 285, and for Machado, leading the lit way with 20 home runs. Adam Frazier is currently leading the National League when it comes to hits. He's hitting a 315. He has been terrific. Tommy Pham along with Will Myers. And you've got now back in the fold Austin Supernola and Trent Grisham. All guys hitting between a 252 and a 265 for Pham. On base percentage is right around a 350-ish. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, they had one guy in the lineup yesterday with north of eight home runs so far this year. That is Paven Smith with nine. That is not necessarily what you want. Got a lot of guys hitting between, I would say, about a 239 and I'll call it about a 250 as Ruben Cabrera, Carson Kelly, Cole Calhoun. I know that you've got a couple other guys that have been in and out of the fold like a Josh Reddick. They've been able to do an okay job as well. Christian Walker, he's got four home runs of 250 at-bats. I remember when this guy was actually a decent hitter, so it's been really rough there. And with the Arizona Diamondbacks, you just never know when this bullpen 
bullpen is going to light the game on fire because you've got a bunch of guys that started out the year as starters, like a Matt Peacock, like a Jake Faria, who are now relievers, and they just have no idea what's going on. I've talked to Josh Showers on the Vegas Sets and Information Network about this. When you go from starter to reliever, it's just changing the entire way that you prepare, and these guys are just completely in a funk, and I have a feeling that the Padres have a chance to be able to get there all by themselves on this total. I do think that the Diamondbacks are going to be able to get a couple runs off of Darvish. He has been struggling, but you take a look at this bullpen of the Padres as well. In the top five in the league when it comes to bullpen ERA, Emilio Pagan has been a little bit rough for the scene, but Austin Adams has been able to do a very good job. I like what you're getting out of someone like a Drew Pomerantz, whose ERA so far this year is hovering right around two. Craig Stammen has been able to do a nice job of being able to hold down the fort. Even someone like a Tim L has been able to give you some good innings. So we're going to be taking the Padres on the run line, set the total 8.7, so we're going to be going over as well. 9-13, on the bang board. The Seattle Mariners set the road to face off against the New York Yankees. Andrew Heaney is going to be going for the Yankees. Chris Flexen is going to be on the bump for the M's. 9.5 to 10 years your total. On the 9.5, overs between minus 110 and minus 115. Unders anywhere between minus 105 minus 110. On the 10, unders anywhere between minus 115 to minus 120. Overs anywhere between even a minus 105. If you're taking a look at the Yankees, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 180 and minus 192. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the M's, you're going to be getting them anywhere between plus 155 and plus 176. I do recognize that the Yankees have a little bit of a leg up when it comes to the lineup, but I have zero faith in Andrew Heaney being able to get this thing home. Anything above a plus 155, I was willing to take a shot on the M, so we're going to be taking a look at that. To my surprise, Chris Flexen is 10-5. and five. Very much a pitch-to-contact guy as he is getting fewer than six strikeouts per nine innings, but he's given up less than a home run per nine. It has been really remarkable to watch him on the road recently as well. Overall for the year, 4-1 record with a 5.44 ERA on the road, giving up seven out of his 11 home runs on the road, and opponents are getting a 3.22 off of him, but you take a look at what he's been able to do recently on the road. Gives up two runs at six and two-thirds innings against the Tampa Bay Rays, one run at seven innings against the LA Angels. He winds up giving up three runs at five innings against the Blue Jays. A little bit of a rough one. He winds up giving up three runs at six innings against the Tigers who, by the way, since the beginning of the month of July, have been putting up the most runs per game out there in the American League. So he's really been able to put it together after a couple of rough starts. Meanwhile, for Andrew Heaney, he was graded very poorly in the Bronx as in his first start, he gives up four home runs to the Baltimore Orioles as a Yankee. So that's not necessarily too terrific. He's given up three plus runs overall in four out of his last five starts. This has got just a guy that I have absolutely no faith in whatsoever. He, so far for the year, has won a grand total of 98 innings, giving up 20 home runs. That's right around 1.85-ish home runs per nine innings. Opponents are in 256 off of them. And the home and road splits weren't necessarily too demonstrative. He was not necessarily so good in LA. He wasn't so great on the road. And then you take a look at the Seattle Mariners, all of a sudden you're getting some guys back in the lineup for the team. Jake Fraley is someone that's hitting right around 240. You've got a guy in Abraham Toro who has come over from the Houston Astros and he has made an immediate impact. He wound up hitting three home runs in his first six games with a bunch. If you're taking a look at him overall with the Seattle Mariners in nine games, so very small sample size, hitting a 438. So he's been able to do a great job there. You've got J.P. Crawford hitting a 270 for the team. Mitch Hanniger hitting a 260. Now, he's been stuck on 25 home runs for quite a while, but he's been able to give you a little bit of something. Now, you do have quite a few guys that they do need to up the batting average. Jared Kelnick, Cal Raleigh, Lewis Torrance. You're able to throw in there Kyle Seager, Ore Mamaloe. So, this goes on and on of guys. You get 225 or lower. We'll throw in there Jake Bowers, Dylan Moore as well, but with Seager, 22 home runs. Lewis Torrance hit right around 270 in the month of July. And for the New York Yankees, all of a sudden, you do have some very good matchers in this lineup. Anthony Rizzo, DJ LeMayu, along John Carlos Stanton.
Atlantic Labor Taurus hauling between a 245 and a about a 265 with Rizzo. He was able to go deep three times in the first seven games with the New York Yankees Aaron Judge. He has been a concept for the team all year long. Hitting a 280, 22 home runs, right around 370 on base. Joey Gallo wound up having a nice home run a couple days ago, but he's really only had two home runs since the All-Star break. He has been sort of fading a little bit. Gary Sanchez is on the COVID list, but whether it be he or Kyle Higashioka out there, both of these guys have been a liability with the bat. Rudnett Odor is hitting at 230, and that's because he wound up having a very good month of July. And when you take a look at this New York Yankees bullpen, they had to go through a whole bunch of guys because Wandy Peralta wound up getting the start yesterday. That's not necessarily so terrific. You've had Joey Rodriguez come out of the bullpen with his 6 ERA. They pick up Clay Holmes at the trade deadline. Now, Zach Britton is starting to look a little bit more like his old self, Aroldis Chapman, has been able to refine his form. And Chad Green is someone that, by and large, has been able to do a solid job. But you take a look at the Mariners bullpen as well. You've got a, quite a few guys that have been solid all year long. Eric Swanson entered into yesterday with a sub-2 ERA. When Keenan Middleton has not been used as a starter, he has been pretty solid. When he was used as a starter the one time, it was just not great. Diego Casillo comes over from the Tampa Bay Rays. So this is a situation which I think that both teams are going to be able to generate some hard contact here. Did wind up setting the total at 10.1, so I'm going to be taking it over. But I was saying that anything above a plus 155 was willing to take a shot on the M's. We have got that. So taking the Mariners and the over. 915-916 on the betting board is the Boston Red Sox. And the red faceoff against the Toronto Blue Jays. This will be in conjunction with 921-922 because we've got ourselves a double dip. In the first game, 915-916, you've got Nick Pavetta on the bump for the Red Sox. And Robbie Ray going for the Blue Jays with the Blue Jays in this spot. They were between minus 164 and minus 170 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the both Sox, you're going to be getting them. They were between plus 150 and plus 155. Seven is your total. Over is anywhere between minus 150 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between even and minus 105. Seeing a relatively consistent total on the other game, 921-922 with Tanner Oak going for the Boston Red Sox and Jose Barrios going for the Toronto Blue Jays. Toronto's game is 7. You're seeing a little bit more overjuice anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. Same as going for the under end. In this spot, Blue Jays are a little bit less of a favor. And between minus 140 and minus 150 with the Sox anywhere between plus 130 and plus 140 there. And I can tell you right now, with regards to game 1, I'm going to be targeting the... Boston Red Sox because I wound up saying them as a plus 146 underdog. Made this all 7.2, so we're going to be looking at an over and Nick Pavetta in game one. In game two, I'm going to be looking a little bit more towards the Toronto Blue Jays. I wound up saying Mr. Jose Barrios as minus 154 as a favorite. Also wound up making this total 6.8, so I'm going to be taking a look at an under of 7 in Barrios versus Hook. So you've got over and Pavetta in game one, and then you've got Barrios and under in game two. When you take a look at both of these lineups, they are very good lineups in general. You've got the Boston Red Sox who they just trot out there a little bit of everything. You've got to love the fact that you've got J.D. Martinez doing all that he's doing. North of 20 home runs. He's been able to give this team a 280. Kike Hernandez has been doing very good against the Toronto Blue Jays by the way. This is a man that has been able to give you 15 home runs so far this year hitting right around 250. You take a look at what he wound up doing in the month of July. He wound up pounding out 6 home runs. He hit a 275 by far his best month of the year and he's continued that into August. Alex Verdugo has been a little bit spotty recently hitting a 275 but Hunter Renfro along Christian Vasquez in between a 250 and 260 and entering into yesterday, Rafael Devers was side for second in the league with RBI, 27 home runs, 285 batting average. And then you take a look at the Toronto Blue Jays. George Springer has been absolutely amazing for this team. You take a look at what he was able to do in the month of July. He wound up hitting about a 280-ish. He went off for eight home runs despite the fact that he wound up missing a little bit of time in July. So he is very instrumental to this team to ask Hernandez and Bo Bichette are hitting between a 290 and a 300. 17 plus home runs for both of these guys. 
guys. You've had Alejandro Kirk along with Reese McGuire at the catcher spot really be able to step up. Randall Gritchick is someone that's been able to give you 19 home runs. How about that guy, Vlager Jr., about a 420 on base, north of 30 home runs. Yeah, he's pretty darn good. Now, what I will say is that the Boston Red Sox have a little bit of an edge when it comes to bullpen in both of these games just because you've got more sheer arms that are able to give you multiple innings. You're able to look to Phillips Valdez for two innings. Otokazu Sadomoda has been able to do a solid job as well. Ansel Robles is not necessarily a guy that I have a lot of faith in, but Garrett Woodlock has been good all year long with his buck 21 ERA. He has been able to go multiple innings in most of his appearances, so that is a big leg up. Now with the Toronto Blue Jays, you've got a guy in Trevor Richards that you're able to look to for multiple innings if needed. I do think that they've got a little bit of an edge when it comes to both starters in Robbie Ray and Jose Barrios that I'm going to be getting into in a second, but right in, it's someone that has been a little bit up and down so far this year, right around a 385 ERA. Brian Baruki is someone that I do like for the team. Taylor Saucedo, prior to about a week or so ago, was giving the team some good innings. He has really regressed, but you take a look at this Pavetta versus Robbie Ray start. Pavetta has been shelled quite a bit by the Toronto Blue Jays. He's got right around a 6 ERA when he does face off against Toronto in four starts. He has given up 19 runs, 18 of which have been earned in 21 and a third innings, giving up 6 home runs, but then you take a look at the flip side for Robbie Ray. He's given up 23 home runs in 24 and a third innings, so he's given up right around 1.8 home runs per 9 innings. I, what I will say, the walks per 9, that's right around 2.5 throughout his career, it's been more like four, so he's been able to do a much better job of being able to rein it in, but he himself has given up four home runs in three starts against Boston Red Sox, so both of these guys have been getting shelled a little bit, which is why I'm looking at the over, and I think that Pavetta should be an underdog, but like I was saying, this is a spot in which I was willing to take Pavetta as long as he was pretty much north of a plus 145, and we're seeing a lot of plus 150-ish here, so we're going to be taking the Red Sox and the over in that, and then with Barrios versus Tanner Hook, with Hook in a limited sample size, he has been very good. Now, I do fear that that limited sample size is not necessarily representative of him altogether. 245 ERA, 22 innings so far this year. His strikeouts per nine rate is right around 11 and a half. It has been amazing. He's only given up five walks and one home run in that stint, but so far this year, he has made seven starts. He really hasn't went north of five innings in any of them. In his last three appearances, he has won three, four and two-thirds innings, and four innings. Now, one of those was against the Toronto Blue Jays, and the team has won each of the last four games that he has appeared in, but only three of those games have been since the month of April as well, so that's a little bit of an issue, so you've got a whole lot of this and that going on with Mr. Tanner Oak, and then you take a look at Mr. Jose Barrios in his debut with the Toronto Blue Jays, looked magnificent against the Kansas City Royals, six shutout innings, this is a man that has given up one run or fewer in now three out of his last five starts, a guy that has only given up three home runs in his last five starts as well, and his home and road splits were really able to rein in throughout the last few years, this was a guy that like two, three years ago, he was just giving up a whole bunch of runs whenever he would hit the road with the Minnesota Twins, and then in Minnesota he just would be able to find it, but I think that he's been able to do a good job of being able to sort that out, which is why I'm going to be looking at the Blue Jays a little bit more in this spot, and I wound up saying the run line at anything above a plus 135 being a take there. If you're looking at the run line in game 2, 921-922 with Barrios versus Tanner Oak, find that anywhere between plus 135 and plus 140. Likely going to be taking a shot there along with the total, because anything of a 7 or higher going to be taking a look at the under there. Hopefully I kept that straight for you. Like I said, any changes are made will be noted on my Twitter feed at Jaren Squirty1. 917-918 on the main board. The Oakland A's are going to be playing us to the Walker Texas Rangers. To be determined, is going to be going for the Rangers. Cole Irvin is going to be on the bump for the Oakland A's. This currently has no numbers because we have no idea what the Texas Rangers are throwing out there, but... 
Got on the Oakland A's being a relatively sizable favorite because since the All-Star break going into yesterday, the Texas Rangers are averaging fewer than two and a half runs per game. They're literally averaging about a run per game fewer than any other team in the big leagues in that time span. They have been terrible. Now, with Cole Irvin, a 7-10 record, it's not necessarily great, but what has been solid is the fact that he doesn't give up cheap runs. And by that, I mean he has given up about .7 home runs per nine innings. He has given up 22 walks into 123 and two-thirds innings. If you're looking at a per nine rate, that's right around 1.6, 1.6. He has been terrific. He has given up in terms of earned runs three or fewer in five out of his last six starts. He has given up approximately three walks in his last four starts, not giving up a single home run in that time span as well. The only reason why the team is one and three in those starts is that he has been provided with three runs of support or fewer in all of the losses, and the one win, he wound up getting four runs of support. So the Oakland A's around him just have not necessarily been able to do a great job, and for the Oakland A's, they did wind up losing Ramon Laureano. He is out due to a PDED suspension, but you still have quite a few guys hitting between 11 and 15 home runs so far this year. Matt Chapman, Sean Murphy, Seth Brown, Jed Lowry, Mark Cannon. Now, I do recognize that Brown has been out of the fold for quite a while, but still, you've got a lot of consistency in this lineup. You've also got Josh Harrison, who's hitting right around at 290 for this team. That is solid. Starling Marte of the Marte Parte is all of a sudden an even bigger acquisition. Hitting right around at 300 with a 400 on base, 27 solo bases, by the way. That is a little bit of an underrated aspect because the A's have just not been able to steal bases in general the last couple years. You've got Matt Olson, 28 He's hitting about a 280 for the same. But Mark Canna at the leadoff spot, right around a 360 on base. And then you take a look at the Texas Rangers. This is just a terrible lineup. You've got three guys in the starting lineup from yesterday hitting above a 222 coming into the game. That'd be Isaiah Caner Falafa along with Adolis Garcia and Nate Lowe. These guys all in between a 249 and a 245 entering into yesterday. You've been able to get 23 home runs out of Garcia, but seven of those home runs have come since the beginning of June. This guy wound up having a very hot first two months of the year, and he has precipitously fallen off from there. Guys like Brock Holt, David Dahl, you're able to throw in there a young guy like a Curtis Terry. These guys are just not cutting it. When you take a look at the Texas Rangers bullpen, Spencer Patton has been able to give you a couple solid innings. Jimmy Ergut, he is someone that we need to wait and see on. Jarrell Cotton is someone that they're giving innings to. So far, halfway decent, but with the Rangers, we just have no idea what's going to be thrown out there. Typically, this would be a spot in which you use Taylor Hearn, but because you wound up getting a piece of garbage start from Spencer Howard a few days ago, he wound up getting used up for four innings, so he's not going to be available. you got to think that the Rangers are probably going to be trotting out there someone from the minor leagues to go up against the Oakland A's, and for the A's, the bullpen has been very good. Sergio Romo, since the beginning of the month of June, a sub-2 ERA, Lutrovino all year long, right around a 2-ish ERA. J.B. Wendelkin has been a little bit shaky since coming off the injury list, but you're able to get something out of Andrew Chafin, Jake Diekman, so going to be looking at the A's as a very sizable favorite. This is probably a spot in which I'm going to be taking a look at the under if it is an 8 or higher, a 7.5 or lower would probably be taking a look at the over, but then again, it could be so bad with the Rangers that the Oakland A's could wind up getting 8 runs all by themselves. So check back in the morning my Twitter feed at Jaren's41. Initial thoughts there. 919-920 on the main board. The Tampa Bay Rays hit the road face off against the Baltimore Orioles. Spencer Watkins is going to be going for the Orioles. Shane McClanahan is going to be on the bump for the Rays. The Rays are finding themselves as very big favorites here. Anywhere between a minus 192 and minus $2. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the O's, anywhere between plus 170 and plus 179, that is your total over and under anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. McClanahan has really been able to lock in recently. His stuff is very nasty. He's able to throw 100 miles per hour. He's given up now about 1.3-ish home runs per nine innings. The walks per nine can be a little bit high, right around 3.1, but you take a look at his last five starts. He has given up in his last five starts a combined nine runs, three runs or fewer in every one of them. Has given up just one home run in his last four starts, and that home run they gave up to Hunter Renfro was a little bit lucky, if I say so myself, so he has been able to do a great job. And the last time he gave up more than three runs in his start, 
you have to go all the way back to June 2nd. So he has been able to give up three runs or fewer. And now I believe it's nine starts. So he has been able to lock in. Meanwhile, for Spencer Watkins, he was able to give this team a couple of very good starts. Wound up giving up one run in three consecutive starts against the Rays, the White Sox, and the Blue Jays. Ever since then, things have regressed. He has given up a combined eight runs in nine and two-thirds innings against the Tigers and the Miami Marlins. The good news is he has some familiarity with the Rays and being able to pitch well against them. And he's only given up two home runs in his last five starts. Bad news. He's starting to look a little bit shaky and giving up four walks per nine innings, and it's not a high strikeout guy. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Baltimore Orioles. This is a bullpen that is a little bit depleted right now because you're currently without Tanner Scott, one of your more trustworthy relievers. Cole Solzer has been solid for this team, though. Dustin Knight is someone that they're hoping could give this team a little bit of something. Paul Fry is someone that I do like as well, but then you take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays. Despite the fact that J.P. Fireisen and Pete Fairbanks are dealing with injuries, you still have quite a few good guys. J.T. Chargua comes over from the Seattle Mariners. He has been great since he wound up going to Japan last year. You've been able to get a lot of something out of Andrew Kittredge. Matt Weisler has been able to give you some good innings with the Tampa Bay Rays. This is all of a sudden a very fearsome lineup as you've got a quadrant of guys giving you at least 20 home runs so far this year. Brandon Lau, Mike Zanino, Austin Meadows along with Nelson Cruz. Now Cruz along with Randy Odozarena have been out of the fold the last few days so that has been a little bit tough for the scene but you still have G-Man Choi and Yandy Diaz. A pair of guys are hanging right around at 252 to 260 apiece but where they really have value their on base is north of a 350 as well so that has been solid. They're kicking the tires on Jordan Lupo. Don't know what you're going to be able to get out of him considering he's hanging below the Mendoza line of a 200 but they always find a way to be able to get something out of these guys. Wander Franco has been able to pick things up a little bit recently as well. He's now hitting about a 250 along with Manuel Margot. Then you take a look at the Orioles. If there is a saving grace with this team, it is the fact that you've got actually a halfway decent lineup. Austin the Say is kid, Anthony Santander, Pedro Severino, all these guys are in between a 230 and a 240. Cedric Mullins has been amazing for this team. How about a 325 batting average? He, Trey Boomo, Mancini, Ryan Mountcastle, all between 18 and 20 home runs so far this year with Mancini on Mountcastle. These guys are in between a 255 and a 260. Ramon Odias is hitting about a 280. Now you do have a couple slugs in the lineup. Mikel Franco, DJ Stewart, Richie Martin, whenever he's been out there, Stevie Wilkerson, Ryan McKenna as well. All these guys hitting a 220 or lower. Forget about awesome wins as well. Got to remember our good buddy there, but this is a situation in which I do think that the Rays are just going to be able to out-firepower the Baltimore Orioles. I think that the Orioles could be able to get a couple runs here, but I just think that this is still going to be a little bit of an ugly one. One of saying the Rays is north of $2 on the money line. If you're taking a look at the run line, you're finding that anywhere between minus 125 and minus 130. I was willing to lay up to about a minus 137 with the Rays, so we're going to be taking a look at that. Did wind up saying this all at 9.4 because of the recent form of McClanahan and the fact that Watkins has had a little bit of success with the race, so we're going to be going under along with the race on the run line. 921-922 was a part of that Red Sox versus Blue Jays double dip, so we move on. 923 is a New York Post play today as the Cleveland Indians are going to be playing us the Detroit Tigres. Tyler Alexander is going to be going for the Tigres. Eli Morgan is going to be on the bump for the Indians. Indians in between minus 123 and minus 130 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Tigres, you're going to be getting them in between plus 110 and plus 116, and your total on this game is 9.5 over Zenny between minus 110 and minus 115 under Zenny between minus 105 and minus 110. New York Post play of the day here is the Tigers. I felt like this should have been a pick'em game so any plus price was going to trigger a play on the Tigers. I like what I'm seeing out of Tyler Alexander right now. As a starter, the team has actually done very well for him. They are 5-1 and one in his last 6 starts, which has been absolutely tremendous. You know what else is absolutely tremendous? The amount of home runs that Eli Morgan is giving up. Now, I do recognize that the Indians have been able to do a little bit better in his last 2 starts and I believe that they wound up winning their 
his last two starts, but still, he has given up 12 home runs in 37 and a third innings. Now, he's given up about half the walks as he has home runs, which I find to be absolutely insane, but in 16 and a third innings, in four home starts, he is posting up an 882 ERA and has given up seven home runs. That is just absolutely unsightly. And then you take a look at the Detroit Tigers. Since the beginning of the month of July, entering yesterday, they're averaging 5.2 runs per game. That is the most out there in the American League in that time span. They were averaging 3.9 runs per game first couple of months of the year, so that has been great. And you take a look at the Cleveland Indians, north of a 5 ERA overall ever since the beginning of the month of July, so they've not necessarily been great there. Now, I will say, for the Cleveland Indians, still a solid bullpen. Emmanuel Classe has been able to do a solid job. James Karinczak has been a little bit shaky recently, but you still have been able to get Brian Shaw to be able to give you some good innings. Nick Sandlin has been solid. For the Detroit Tigers, the bullpen has been a little bit better recently. Kyle Funkhauser is a guy that I like. Ian Kral's right around at 3 ERA. Gregory Soto wound up being an all-star. OZC Cerno is giving you a little bit of something. And then with the Tigers in general, I was alluding to that offense. How about what you've been able to get out of Jonathan Scope? Ever since the beginning of the month of June, Elliot well above a 3 He, along with Eric Haas, between 17 and 19 home runs so far this year. Miguel Cabrera is right now two home runs short of 500 as I'm doing this podcast. Now you do have Victor Reyes and Willie Castro hitting below a 230 for the same Badera kill, right around at 375 on base. Akil Badu, along with Harold Castro and Jonathan Scope, all with between 330 and 335 on bases. Jamir Candelario sitting at 275, and for the Cleveland Indians, you have been able to get a whole lot of something out of Jose Ramirez, a lot of Framel Reyes. When it comes to the power, Reyes was out of the fold yesterday, but he's giving you a home run every about 11 and a half at best. And then with Jose Ramirez, how about 24 home runs, hitting right around a 256, and he, Harold Ramirez, along with Miles Straw, Amid Rosario, all guys hitting between, I would say, about a 255 to a 270 right now. Been able to get a little bit of something out of Bradley Zimmer, but you've got Yu Chang, Austin Edges, Owen Miller, Ernie Clement, along with Bobby Bradley, all guys hitting a sub-220 for the team as well. So I do think that the Tigers, who have been able to find quite a bit of something, 7-3 and three in their last 10 games, are going to be able to keep their winning ways going. And I think that this is going to be another start that is not going to go the way of Eli Morgan. So the New York Post play of the day is going to be the Tigers on the money line. When it comes to the total, I certainly do think that we are going to be seeing some offense in this one. Wound up setting this total at a 9.7, so we're going to be going over along with the Tigers' money line. 925-926 on the main board. The Houston Astros are going to be playing with the Minnesota Twins. Michael Pineda hopes to not be Michael Pineda for the Twins. Meanwhile, Luis Garcia is going to be on the bump for the Astros. The Astros are finding themselves as big favorites here. Anywhere between minus 180 and minus 185. Meanwhile, plus price with the Minnesota Twins. Anywhere between plus 165 and plus 170. Meanwhile, your total is 9. Over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between even and minus 105. And this is a spot in which I needed at least a plus 169 to take a shot on the Twins. We got to plus 170, so we are going to be taking a look here with Michael Pineda. He has been giving up the deep ball a little bit more this year than he has in past years, but by and large, he has been able to do a solid job recently. The start against the St. Louis Cardinals did not wind up going his way. I felt like he was pulled a little bit too early, but he has given up three runs or fewer in terms of earned runs in now four out of his last five starts. He has been the victim of quite a few unearned runs, so that has been a little bit brutal there, but you take a look at it. He's given up one home run in his last three starts, and he's given up two walks over his last four as well, so he's been able to do a good job with pinpoint accuracy. Never has been too much of a swing and miss guy, but for the Houston Astros, this is also a team that they've been a little bit short-handed recently. Yoli Gurriel has been in and out of the fold. He has missed each of the last two games. Now, you've got a quadrant of guys in Carlos Correa, Jose Altuve, Jordan Alvarez, and Kyle Tucker. All with at least 17 home runs hitting between a 270 and 280. Yeah, that's pretty good. And for Altuve, 25 home runs entering into yesterday. Michael Brantley is hitting a 330. Alamendi CS is hitting right around 285. So even though they're a little bit short-handed, well, they're pretty darn solid. But then, take a look at the Minnesota Twins, and you've got a couple guys that are able to do quite a bit of something for you. As you've got Ore Palanco, Josh Donaldson, Miguel Sano, all between 16 and 18 home runs. 
350 on base with Donaldson. Polanco is hitting right around a 275. Luis Arias has been weighted above a 300 for the team. Rob Rev Snyder, very small sample size, but he's been solid for the team as well. Now, guys like Brent Rooker, J.K., Max Kepler, Andrelton Simmons, Mitch Garver, all these guys are hitting a sub-230. And for the Minnesota Twins, the bullpen has been going through some trials and tribulations, to say the least, but Danny Colombe is right around a 3 ERA. You've been able to get a little bit of something whenever John Gant has been out there as well. He got a little bit lucky as a starter, but as a reliever, He's been solid the last couple years. Side Duffy, a little bit up and down as well. And for the Houston Astros, Kendall Graveman certainly able to do the job for this team, but really doesn't pitch back-to-back. Rafael Montero is worth of a 6 ERA. Brooks Raley has not been great for this team. Blake Taylor right around a 3-6 ERA as well. So I do have some question marks there. And with Luis Garcia, he has had his ups and downs this year as well. When you take a look at Garcia, he has been able to do a really solid job. He'll be able to keep things out in front of him, giving up right around 1.15 home runs per nine innings. He has been better at home than he has been on the road. 5.08 road ERA. 224 home ERA, but he also is someone that I feel like has been a little bit lucky on balls in play as well. Now, strikeouts per nine when he's been home, 10 and a half, so that is something that you're able to look at as well, but I think that this is a little bit too much on the Minnesota Twins in this spot. I was willing to take them as long as we got that plus 170, which we have gotten, and when it comes to this total, I wound up sending it and an 8.8, so this is a situation which I'm going to be taking the under along with the Minnesota Twins, 927, 928 on the bang board. Battle of Chicago, as you've got the White Sox hitting the road, facing off against the Cubbies. Edmir Alzale is going to be going for the Cubs. Carlos Rodon is going to be on the bump for the White Sox who find themselves a sizable favor. Anywhere between minus $2 and minus $2.10. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Cubbies, anywhere between plus $170 and plus $191. We're only seeing a total on this game at Westgate. Typically, the total comes out a little bit later because the wind is such a big factor in it. Currently, the Westgate is 9.5. Under is minus $120 and the over is even. I personally wound up saying this at 9.2 so before you're able to find a little bit of better juice on 9.5, I'm going to be taking that under. If we find more of an unjuiced 9, I'll be taking a look at that over. So, little bit of wait and see mode there because I do notice that the wind is going to be blowing out slash just to the side a little bit more. It's not necessarily going to be overly affecting these guys. When you take a look at Albert Alzale, it's been a very tough season for him, to say the least. He's given up about 2.15 home runs per nine innings. You take a look at what he's done at home so far this year. A little bit better with regards to ERA than on the road. He has given up 12 home runs in nine starts at home. He's given up 2.4 home runs per nine innings at home, but only 2.2 walks, and opponents are getting at 222 off of him, so he's been able to give you a little bit of something there, and for Carlos Rodon, this man has been a road warrior. 259 home ERA, 241 one road ERA. 5-2 record when he's been away from his friendly confines out there in the city of Chicago as we've got an intra-city rivalry in this one but he has given up 8 home runs at 56 innings when he's been on the road and opponents earning a buck 70 off of him in guaranteed rate field. Meanwhile on the road a 2-11 but you do take a look at the White Sox still a little bit banged up but they are getting some pieces back in there. You've got Tim Anderson batting champ from 2019 hitting a 295 for this team. You have been noticing Eli Jimenez be in and out of the fold he wound up playing yesterday. Has only a buck 60 since coming back, but obviously very small sample size there. You have been able to get a couple guys in the fold that are doing a good job of being able to go deep. Cesar Hernandez along with Jose Abreu between 19 and 20 home runs apiece for these guys. You've got Abreu hitting right around a 245 along with Brian Goodwin. Yoel Moncada along with Andrew Vaughn hitting between a 255 and a 260 as well. And for Moncada right around a 370-ish on base. Lurie Garcia is able to give you a little bit of something as well. And then you got Sebi Zavala who is not at a home run since his three home run game, but certainly has been able to give this team a little bit of Spark. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Cubs, and Rafael Ortega has actually been able to do a very good job for this team. He's hitting right around 320. Patrick Wisdom, still giving you a home run every about 12 or so at bats. He's hitting a 270, so he has been consistent. Now, got a couple guys that you just need a little bit more out of. They've been giving some 
guys like a Greg Deichman, some starts. You have Ian Apaparay, who's been more like Apapoo, Sergio Alcantara, David Bodie, whenever he's been out there, Jason Award, all hitting a 215 or lower. Robin Cedrinos is hitting right around 225, but they've been able to get a little bit of something out of ancient Andrew Romine, who's hitting north of a 400 in a very small sample size. This is also a Cubs bullpen that I recognize that some of these guys have not been great recently. Rex Brothers, oh brothers, has this guy been absolutely terrible. You wind up trotting out there. Yesterday, Mr. Michael Rucker is a guy that I have absolutely no faith in whatsoever. Cody Hoyer winds up coming over from the White Sox. He's not necessarily so great, but you have been able to get a little bit of something out of a guy like an Adam Morgan who's been halfway decent. I think that Manuel Rodriguez is someone that's going to be able to give this team a little bit of an upside as well. So you still have a couple guys that are able to come in and hold down the fort. Meanwhile, for the White Sox, you certainly do have a great bullpen. Craig Kimbrell along with Liam Hendricks. That is a nasty combo, but both of these guys wound up getting used for north of 20 pitches yesterday. They had to use up Garrett Crochet and Michael Kopech as well, so they're going to be looking to Ryan Tapero likely in this spot. Aaron Bummer wound up coming out of the bullpen, but was used for only six pitches, so got an interesting spot here. I do think that Carlos Rodon should be a favorite, and a really good favorite, but at the same time, I can't feel north of $2. was willing to take the Cubs as long as I was getting north of a plus 165. We are certainly getting that, so going to be taking a shot here on the Cubs, and like I said, with regards to the 9.5, I might, I'm able to get a little bit of better juice there. Going to be taking a look at the under, as I wound up saying this at 9.2 personally. 9.29, 9.30 on the betting board. The St. Louis Cardinals are going to be playing mostly Kansas City Royals. Brad Keller is going to be going for the Royals. Kwon Young Kim is going to be on the bump for the Cardinals, who find themselves anywhere between minus 161 and minus 170 favorites. Meanwhile, with the Royals, anywhere between plus 148 and plus 152 underdogs. A&F is your total. Under is anywhere between minus 105, minus 110. Over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. And for Brad Keller, he has looked much better recently. He had just an absolutely cataclysmically awful start to the year, but he has been able to rein it in a little bit more, and in his last five starts, he has been able to do a nice job of holding down the fort for this team, as he has given up three runs or fewer in every one of them, two runs or fewer in three of them. Now, the team is one and four in these last five starts. Go figure, because they were actually winning when he was giving up a bunch of runs. He has gotten three runs of support or fewer in all four of those losses, so that has been a little bit brutal. He's cut the walks down. He's given up two walks in four out of his last five starts or fewer, so that has been very good considering he has given up right around five walks per nine innings so far this year. Given up right around 1.3 home runs per nine innings too, so that's been a little bit tough, but he's actually been able to do his best work on the road. He's got a 6.33 home ERA and a 2-5 and five record. Meanwhile, 5-5 five and five with a 5.12 road ERA. Still not great, but at the same time, it is a little bit of an improvement. Now, opponents are getting a 3.15 off of him, but he's facing off against a St. Louis Cardinals team that ever since the beginning of the month of June, they've scored the fewest runs out there in the National League. Now, you've got a lot of guys are in between, I would say, about a 253 and a 265 for the team. Tommy Edmond, Dylan Carlson, Yadier Molina, Nolan Arenado. You're able to throw in there Umando Sosa as well. And when you take a look at Arenado, he's been able to give the team 21 home runs. Tyler O'Neill sitting about a 275 has been able to give the team 17 home runs, but it has been a very long time since he has been able to go deep for his this team. He wound up going deep last on July 25th, and if you're looking before that, his last home run wound up coming on the 17th, so he has not been giving you a lot of power recently. Paul Goldschmidt, 17 home runs, and he really did a really good job in the month of July since the beginning of the month of August. He started fading a little bit. Harrison Bader has been able to give you a little bit of something, but then you take a look at the Kansas City Rose. Got quite a few guys doing a good job of getting on base for you as well. Nicky Lopez with Merrifield, Salvador Perez, all in between a 270 and a 280. Perez wound up getting the day off yesterday, but he's been able to supply the scene with north of 25 home runs. Carlos Santana right around a 340 on base with 17 home runs as 
well. Now, you need a little bit more out of guys like Orion O'Hearn, who are hitting a 225 under Dozier, hitting below the Minnows line of 200, but Gerard Dyson has been able to get on for you a little bit. Answer Alberto is a guy that's able to above a 250. And for the Kansas City Royals, a couple good relievers for this team. Jake Brents along Scott Barlow, a pair of guys that will be able to give you relatively solid ERAs. You've got a guy in Josh Shamount who's been a little bit up and down. His ERA is right around 340, so overall for the year, he's been okay. Richard Lovelady is something that you have no faith in whatsoever. And other than a few nights ago, Alex Reyes has been very good for the St. Louis Cardinals, but he's been regressing a little bit. Genesis Cabrera, Giovanni Gallegos, after they had very good starts of the year, they are starting to show their warts. Luis Garcia has actually been very good recently for the St. Louis Cardinals. Problem is, he's still posting up for the year right around a 7-ish ERA, so it's not bad too terrific. Ryan Elsley has been a little bit up and down as well. I do think that Kwon Young Kim, though, is going to be able to come out and he's going to be able to give the team a very good start. He has really been able to rein it in recently. He's given up right around one home run per nine innings. You can tell that when he was injured. He was giving up a bunch of walks. He has given up a combined five walks in his last four starts, so he has been lights out there. The team has won four out of his last five starts as well, and he has given up two runs or fewer in four out of his last five. He wound up having a rough outing against the Cleveland Indians, but past that, he has really been able to do a good job recently for this team, so I do like the recent form of both of these pitchers with the St. Louis Cardinals. Offense has been a little bit rough with the team, so I wound up saying the Royals as a plus 162. I needed that to be able to take a shot on them. We unfortunately have not gotten there, so you take a look at the run line of the St. Louis Cardinals. You're finding that between a plus 115 and a plus 120, I was willing to lay a run and half as long as I was getting at least a plus 113, so that barely fits the metrics there. I wound up saying the total 8.8 because I do think that Keller is going to regress a little bit and both of these bullpens have been a little bit shaky recently. So we're going to be going over along with the Cardinals run line and wrap things up with 931-932. The battle for LA is you've got the Angels on the road against the Dodgers. Julio Arias going to be going for the Dodgers. Aime Baria is going to be going for the Angels. NF is your total. Over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even a minus 110 with the Angels. You're finding them anywhere between plus 215 and plus 224 with the Dodgers. That is anywhere between minus 246 and minus 265. Interesting stat here. In Julio Arias' last 31 starts, the under has hit just six times. I believe that there have been three pushes in there, but he has been very much an over pitcher so far this year. And you take a look at the Dodgers. This is a very fearsome lineup, no question about it, despite the fact that the Angels are actually in the bottom five of the big leagues with regards to runs per game ever since the All-Star break. They still have Shohei Otani, the league leader in home runs. And then you take a look at this Dodgers team. You've got yourself a pair of guys with 20-plus home runs in front of this year and Justin Turner down for what in Max Muncy, a pair of guys that do a tremendous job of being able to get on base for you. And then you take a look at Mookie Betts. He has been able to really pick it up ever since coming back from injury. He and Chris Taylor, 17 home runs so far this year, both hitting between a 270 and a 285. A.J. Pollock is hitting above a 300. Will Smith is able to get jiggy with it right around 15 bombs. He's been able to do a good job. Heck, even when Austin Barnes is out there, he's got a solid on base. Now, with the Angels, they have been dealing with an injury to Jared Walsh. That has certainly hurt them north of 20 home runs for him so far this year, but you take a look at some of the other pieces for this team. You have been able to have Joe Adele come up from the minor leagues, and he has been able to do a very solid job for the team. Brandon Marsh has been very inconsistent for the team, to say the least, but Jose Iglesias is hitting right around at 270. David Fletcher right around 300. Your big fear with the Angels is this bullpen, because you have had quite a few guys not necessarily do the job for you You've got Jose Quijado, who's got North of a 70 RA. Rossi Iglesias has actually been very good for the team. C-Sheck has been able to give you a couple solid innings as well, but Austin Warren, young guy that they're looking to. So far, so good. Want to see a little bit more out of him. Then you take a look at Aime Baria. He has made two starts recently for the team. He has been lights out. 
pair of wins against the Oakland A's in a 1-0 win, by the way, and against the Minnesota Twins. A combined 13 and two-thirds innings, giving up two home runs. Both of those were solo shots as he's given up two runs in total in that span. Now, not much of a strikeout guy. So far this year, 19 and two-thirds innings, he's only got eight strikeouts in for his career. He has been able to get right around seven strikeouts per nine innings, so you're not looking there. Meanwhile, you take a look at Mr. Julio Arias. He has been able to do a very good job of just a little bit of everything for the team. He's given you just under 10 strikeouts per nine innings. Has given up right around 1.4 home runs per nine innings, and if I will say this, he's actually been better on the road than he has been at home. 10-2 road record with a 307 ERA, 3-1 with a 388 at home, and at home he has been giving up right around 1.3-ish home runs per nine innings, and opponents are in at 255 off of him. His strikeouts per nine at home right around nine and a half-ish, so it's been a little bit up and down there. I take a look at the spot. Should the Angels be an underdog? Yes. Should they be an underdog by a pretty sizable margin? Yes. I was willing to take them as long as I was getting north of a plus 215. We have got a 225 on the board, so I'm going to be taking a look there, and I said it before. Julio Rios has been playing a lot of his starts over. Set the solo 9.3. I think that both of these offenses get ignited, so we're going to be taking the over along the Angels, and that will wrap things up for the baseball betting podcast on this Saturday. A big thanks to Ariel Epstein, a.k.a. the Prop Queen, over there with Sports Grid on Channel 204 on Sirius. Join me in the last segment. Great chat there. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Engine. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, one or two ways we offer those in. First one is by Twitter Timeline at Jaren's 41. Keep in mind, letters M, they mean does not matter, so as always, send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to send in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast into the comment section there. And I'll be coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season, which means coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.